Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and a new movie by the guy who directed The Pallbearer. You're gonna. <laughs> you couldn't even finish <laughs> that one. Couldn't even do it. Couldn't even do it. I completely messed this up. Let me. I'm, no, no, let's no. Keep no. This that's, all in. that's it. Stay that's in. it. We're yeah. keeping it all in, but I'm gonna do it again. Okay. A new movie by the guy who directed The Pallbearer. I'll be in the theater till you guys need to carry me out. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me today oh, is Dwayne Ardoir. I just want to know what happened to Bruce Wayne's parents. Is that so much to ask? I just want to know. People deserve to know. And Jeff Kanata. A long-running series that is finally just adopting the definitive article. We're going to be talking about the film cast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Those are, of course, extremely oblique and vague references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Matt Reeves' newest film, The Batman. We've got a really great supersized length episode uh, for you folks that includes Blake Howard from the One Heat Minute podcast at One Heat Minute Productions. He joins us later for our review of The Batman. A to talk about the all, all the minutes of The Batman, right? Oh, yes. He's, we're talking about all yeah. the minutes of The Batman, yeah. Um, a, re- a review, by the way, that patrons got early at patreon.com slash film podcast. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, then uh, you're able to listen to that four or five days ago. Thank you so much to those folks over there. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. we got some more we've been watching for you, some weekly plugs. But before we get to that, there is one topic I want to open this podcast with. And that is uh, a really terrible film review that was published recently (laughs) at Cinema (laughs) Blend. And, And... you know, guys, uh, I consider myself a marginal part of film Twitter, right? I, I would I would say I'm on the fringes of film Twitter. I'm not. I'm I mean, not I, I've seen those uh, thought maps of like Twitter influencers, <laughs> Dave, and you are like a, a big orbit part of uh, mm, film well, Twitter. People I'm orbit grateful. you. I'm grateful yeah. to see that. But yes, I uh, I would consider myself on the fringes of film Twitter. But it's and let me just tell you, film Twitter, a lot of strong opinions. You know, so, a lot of lot of strong house. personalities. Not unlike yeah. the film cast. And it's rare to get everyone to agree on something. <laughs> but today, as we're recording this podcast, which is on Tuesday, March 8th, at least the pre-review part, uh, I saw the collective might of film Twitter being turned against <laughs> one review. It's hard to get film Twitter to agree on anything unless that thing is dunking on someone. <laughs> That's right. Well, a dunking on... Uh, and uh, even then, like, the dunks is, you know, yeah. it's hard to get everyone to align it's like on a one parade. Dunk. It's like a parade in the streets, right? There, there, there's a dunking going on. Everybody out! Here we go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, everybody lines up for the lady saying, shame, shame, yeah. shame. This is exactly what is going on. And in this case, Naked Cersei is actually a review <laughs> over at cinemablend.com for Pixar's latest comedy, Turning Red. Now, I uh, this review, by the way, has since become unpublished. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking after, for it now. It's like, yeah. After wow. the tidal wave of criticism against it. And... I think it's, you know, like, yeah. look. Cancel we, culture strikes again. We, yep. We've we all said dumb shit. Okay, like, I'm not. Sure. Oh, yes. All, all of us here, on the, you know, probably today, later on in the show, I, we'll say yeah, something. Yeah, well, I predict it will happen momentarily. So 
it's not as though like I feel above this person in any way. Like we've all said very stupid things. Um, and so the dunking was so furious on that, that I, I started to feel bad for this person almost. Like this is typically a review that would get me angry. And everyone was so <laughs> angry at this person who wrote this review that I was like, sure. oof. I'm sure, I'm sure know, listeners Dave. who don't care about Twitter are, are really just enraptured with all this. But well, the, the, there's one rule of Twitter. Wait, yeah, wait, wait, one rule of Twitter. Don't be the main character on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. Right? That's, and, yeah, that's uh, the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. Uh, but the, the main characterization comes to us all at some point. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, Jeff is no stranger to being a main uh, character. That's yeah. for sure. The idea that you uh, were not angry at this person uh is it does not translate through your twitter feed my friend <laughs> i i read you uh you you participated uh i think enthusiastically and quite effectively in the dunking <laughs> thank you jeffrey thank you jeffrey yeah. well let me read the review let me read the review so you guys know what's going on okay so here's how this review opens it says the finest pixar animation adventures in this critic's opinion played to a universal audience so this is a review of pixar's turning red we all imagined our adolescent toys coming to life during playtime and feared sure. the shadows that lingered in our closets or under our beds. Yeah. We, we all imagined cars taking over humanity <laughs> you know, and ruling the earth. We all imagined being underwater fish parents uh, trying to find their long-lost fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fish children, you know? Yeah. Anyway, by, explore- <laughs> by exploring those themes in Toy Story and Monsters, Inc., Pixar's animators and storytellers constructed comedic yet emotional adventures that virtually everyone could watch and absorb relatable life lessons. Recently, though, Pixar has turned its reins over to fresh voices and given them the freedom to share deeply personal, though less universal, stories. Fresh voices! (laughs) Films like Onward, Luca, and now the studio's Turning Red come from the heart, without question, but they also risk alienating audience members who can't find a way into the story beyond admiring the impressive animation that is the Pixar trademark, end quote. Anyway, I'm not going to read the whole review. I, I will read one other section of it later on. But I think that, you know, this is this is a review of Turning Red, which is about a uh, Canadian, an Asian-Canadian teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And a, a huge part of the plot of the movie is she is really in love with this boy band, right? And her and her friends, they want to go see this boy band in concert. And I'll just say I saw Turning Red, which is going to be on Disney Plus this weekend. And I thought it was absolutely delightful. I thought I think it is really funny. It's uh, very enjoyable, and it is also highly specific. You know, uh, I I can't relate too much with the uh, horniness of teenage girls for boy bands. Like I I personally can't. But that's what's great about a movie like this is it welcomes you into this world by making it really funny, really heartwarming, and uh, as relatable as is possible. Um, I, I thought it was just very, very uh, lovely film, and I'd recommend it for all families. I think you guys are you guys you guys watch family films with your your kids these days. I mean, yes. it, we're forced to, Dave. Do you understand how this works? <laughs> Sometimes it's all we can watch. Dave. I think Turning so, Red yeah. will be a worthy addition to your rotation. Anyway, Jeff, yes. go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to just underscore what Devendra just said. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Like, God, I wish I didn't have to watch so many. Family yeah, w- things. which one have I not seen a hundred times? Yeah, <laughs> that's the question. Yeah. So, you know, I used to, I used to like the Lego movie, Dave. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I saw Turning Red and I was like, wow, that was a lot of fun. You know, what a delightful film. I don't know that. How, it's, how will the internet destroy this one? Yeah. Well, I don't know that it's my favorite Pixar movie, but I mm-hmm. think it's like really great. And Pixar is one of the best 
sort of studios making animated films ever in the history of mankind. You know, like they sure. they've won probably more Oscars than anyone else. They're just great. And so anytime they make something, you gotta take notice. And I think they did a great job with this movie. The thing about this review was not that the person did not like the movie, right? Like if if that was the sole message of this review, that would have been fine. They would have been like, yeah, wasn't wasn't a fan. It's that it's I I think two related factors. One is somehow turning red, the fact that it centers this Asian Canadian girl is less relatable mm-hmm. than some of other Pixar's or is less universal. Right, right. Well, then some of for one thing, films, uh, right? it takes place in Toronto. Oh, and, I mean, uh, <laughs> nobody might lives as well in be on another planet, right? Basically. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's kind of one claim that that's made that just is pretty confusing given Pixar's you know history, right? They they make movies about it, Pixar's actually a studio that makes movies that's not about white dudes a lot of the time. They're about ants and fish and cars and such right like <laughs> sure sure and so yeah the- but played by white dudes Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true and maybe that's what this person had a problem with who does um but the the other thing here is you know i uh, can look at a car with <laughs> eyeballs on it and know that it's a white person i mean perhaps perhaps but anyway uh, <laughs> i can tell by the voices and, uh, <laughs> usually yes he continues, quote, throughout Turning Red, Domi Shi and her co-screenwriter Julia Cho pepper in jokes and references that will speak directly to teenage girls, be it their bonds over sappy pop songs or their heated lust for older teen dudes. Without question, Turning Red is the horniest movie in Pixar history, which parents will no doubt find surprising. I recognize the humor in the film, but connected with none of it. By rooting Turning Red very specifically in the Asian community of Toronto... The film legitimately feels like it was made for Domi Shi's friends and the immediate uh, immediate family members, which is fine, but also a tad limiting in its scope. End quote. That's a se- little a section that I excerpted uh, in my Twitter dunk about this topic. But the idea that because it is specific, yeah, it is made for that person's friends, I feels like just really kind of outrageous. I have to, to log off of Twitter like after <laughs> seeing like what was actually being talked about here because it sounded like. It sounded. I, I have you seen any movies? You know, <laughs> like some some of the best movies are like highly specific, very weird things that I would never have like any keen interest on on my own. But they opened me up to a new world. Like that is how you view art. And yeah, yeah. Wonder if this person would have the same annoying. criticism of oh, I don't know, Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that it centers Italian mobsters makes it feel like it was made for Martin Scorsese and his friends, <laughs> right? So it's just kind of like, you know, yeah. a really ridiculous review. And usually, like 99% of the time, you got to believe me when I say I don't, I, I try not to dunk on other people's work, especially if they're like reviewers. Because it's like, we're all doing this together. You know, we're all just trying to carve out some kind of meaning from this pop culture that we're consuming. But every now and then, <laughs> a review comes along that is so problematic and loaded with these ideas that are just on their face mm-hmm. uh, worthy of rejection that well, uh, it, it unites I, the whole film Twitter community behind it, you know? Or, I think or the thing that's it. so disturbing is that the author seems oblivious to the things that are obvious to the rest of us. Mm-hmm, indeed. And well, that's that's truly truly disturbing to me. Like that, that the notion that someone would put pen to paper and express this and and think it's 
it's sort of legitimate film criticism and not something else uh is it's 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 baffling to me and and a little worrisome well we should say that uh they since have taken down the review uh and the uh, writer of the article has since kind of uh, apologized publicly uh, on Twitter and said that they're listening to all the criticism, even the harsh criticism. And um, I salute that person for kind of recognizing where they went wrong here. And uh, it's a difficult thing to do, honestly. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to do. So, you know, I, I want to balance all the stuff I'm saying against this review by also saying, you know, uh, it's tough to acknowledge when you messed up. And uh, I think this person did that. And, you know, uh, what have we all learned from this? I don't know. Probably probably not that much. But I think that the thing that a lot of people were quoting today uh, is this idea that film, uh, this idea from Ebert that like a film is an empathy machine. You know, it can mm-hmm, put you in mm-hmm. the perspective of someone else. And you can have comments about how effectively it does that. And even then it might not, it still might not be for you. But uh, I think the idea that just because it's specific that makes it not relatable or not universal in some it's way. Actually, or, you know. The inverse is true, right. uh, honestly. I mean, that's that's sort of the that's drama turgy one hundred and one is the is the specific is universal. Yeah, uh, that's that, that's how we find our way into things. If you say a person did a thing, you go, well, I, I don't have a way into that. that's the most general universal thing. Yeah, people do things. Okay, that's universal. When you get very, very specific, uh, we find ways to connect to those things because we we sense the the humanity in it. We yes. sense the personal nature in it. And uh, I mean, it's it's uh, that's why I say it's 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 baffling to me that mm-hmm. that this was even expressed in, in sort of yeah, with a straight face, absolutely. so to speak. You know, I mean, th- this this whole thing kind of reminds me. I've been reading Kyle Buchanan's book about uh, the the making of Fury Road, mm. Blood, Sweat, and Chrome. Blood, Sweat, and which Chrome, yeah. Incredible book. Uh, everybody should buy it. But also, like, the the development of that movie, which basically started in the mid-'90s, when George Miller and his collaborators were, like, writing the pitch, like, writing, like, what it was going to be, setting up the world and the characters, setting up, like, the basically storyboarding everything since then, throughout the 2000s, throughout, like, False Stars and everything. And so much of that movie is just like, what what the hell is Fury Road, Right? Like it is, it is a band. It's a woman uh, saving uh, basically wives from this warlord and going on a race down the desert. They have this weird belief system. Like it, there's just so much in that movie that is just so weird and wild, and that yeah. is what makes it special, right? Because we have no clue what it is, but they they clearly had an idea of something they were going for, and they went for it. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You you want stories that are out there, that are off the beaten path, that are atypical, that expose you to new viewpoints, ideally. Well, well, there's another, yeah. I have another quick anecdote that I think uh, illustrates the point, if it's not beating a dead horse at this point. But, no worries. Um, yeah. uh, in drama class, I, you know, got a degree in theater and had took a lot of drama classes in college. And one of the things that we did uh, early on in drama class is we did an exercise. I may have actually mentioned this before, so you guys can mm-hmm. stop me if I have, but uh, it was very, um, it was it was sort of a seminal moment in, in my education because I, I really think on it a lot. Anyway, we did this exercise where we got into, into groups uh, of three or four and we had to come up with a game uh, and the game had to have very, very specific rules. It had to have a goal uh, and it had to be a, not a game that has ever been invented before. It can be as ridiculous and stupid as you want it to be, but it had to be a very specific goal that you had to achieve 
and you had to make rules and you then you could not tell mm-hmm. anyone the rules like you, the, the the players knew the rules but you did not express it to the audience but then you played the game in front of the audience and the idea here is that even when you have no goddamn idea what's going on or what the goal is when you watch people who do mm-hmm. and who are invested in that mm-hmm. it is compelling and mm. it is drama and that was the the lesson that we learned is you know you watch someone like trying to steal a chair from the center of the room and knowing that they can only uh, they have to touch their nose before they do it like all these like dumb things that made no sense and we didn't even understand what we were watching but watching people do it intensely was drama it was compelling and it was fascinating to watch and and i think that is directly applicable to this mm-hmm. notion that yep. because of the specificity of it you have a way in you are drawn into you it is human drama because these people have very specific needs specific wants and specific uh, methods by which they're going about getting them uh, that's dramaturgy that's that's creating compelling narrative that's a great great story jeff mm-hmm. i'm reviewing Thanks. your anecdote in real time um <laughs> i'm glad you brought that well, up because that was it was so specific to my experience yeah, yeah that's great I'm sure it sounds that... like you know what you were talking about yeah yeah that's great that's great that's great i'm being i'm being 100 percent genuine by that i'm not being sarcastic. thank you so yeah um but yeah i do just want to also close by uh, this segment about this topic by just saying hey dude we've all been there we've all said dumb shit you know like i think the the most important thing is uh, that we learn the lesson from what happened here and then and then move on. Um, I, I have no desire to like say that this person should never be allowed to write review or you know, I have no desire to quote unquote cancel this person in any meaningful sense of the term. Um, well, but I mean, that's the other side of this argument, right is is that like some guy wrote a very dumb thing in a, in a tiny corner of the internet and a whole bunch of other people had to be like, hey, Hey, look over here look at the dumb guy saying the dumb thing <laughs> yeah you know like yeah. I, I i don't know if that's healthy either but I, it is I, what it I is. completely agree uh even though and that's why like i rarely do this you know what we don't do this every week where i call out a terrible review or anything like that but yeah this is one that i just felt like you know there's probably some learnings here uh that might be interesting to, to discuss so anyway the conclusion of this is turning red is good <laughs> <laughs> and you should go check it out. It's going to be on Disney Plus. And also, it's kind of a shame that Disney did not give it a theatrical release. That's a shame. Yeah, I don't. I, watch... I can imagine Pixar people are pissed, and we're hearing that totally more and more. Totally. Yeah. I don't watch any movies set in Toronto. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, very, very reasonable. Very, very. Reasonable. But yeah, that's uh, that's turning red, and it'll be out on Disney Plus uh, shortly. We'd like to take a moment to thank the world of microdosing, specifically our sponsors, Microdose Gummies. Now, you've probably heard about this trend of taking, you know, small amounts of THC or psychedelics to help lift your mood or, you know, stem anxiety and things like that. Microdose Gummies takes that concept and puts them into a product that gives you entry-level doses of THC that helps you feel pretty good. Now, for the most part, I've been using CBD products, but I found that microdose gummies deliver another level of just chillness, which I really appreciate as things get pretty hectic these days. As always, we'd recommend chatting with your doctor if you've got questions about using CBD products, but I found microdose gummies to just be really, really helpful. I've used them after the end of really stressful days or if I just need a break after a long workout whenever I can get those things. Uh, They even help me sleep a little better and I've had my parents try them. They really enjoyed it too. And you know, that's pretty surprising if you've got high-strung parents. 
Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdosegummies.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdosegummies.com and code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's get to what we have been watching. Um, so I watched a couple things. So, Jeff, there's this new movie, this new horror movie on Hulu called Fresh. Have you mm. heard of this? You're not oh, really into the, horror movies, right? That's the reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but done as a as a cool thing, <laughs> like a not not a comedy anymore. No, it's not. Um, but uh, you're you're not into horror movies. Basically, I'm gonna give away the premise of the movie, and I just want to make sure that's cool. Is it something that I shouldn't? Is is it something I should? I, is worth seeing? Is worth seeking out? I don't think you'd be into it. I don't All think right, you'd well be then, into it. I don't care. Um, so. Fresh is a movie that is theoretically about the horrors of modern dating. And it stars uh, Sebastian Stan and Daisy Edgar Jones. And I'm going to reveal kind of a major plot point of the movie. Like it, yeah. it has which, been. Which is in the trailers. Part of like, the, yeah. yeah. Right. It's been in the trailers. It's part of the plot summary. So, like, technically, I think it's out there. But if you want to go in completely fresh to fresh uh maybe skip forward uh but yeah so the idea is that daisy edgar jones uh she's a a beautiful single woman she's just trying to trying to make it in the modern dating world and you know you you get a sense of like all the horrible dates she's going on and how bad it is and all of a sudden she randomly meets sebastian stan in the produce section of a supermarket as you do as you do Winter Soldier, yeah. Dude's got to get a cantaloupe. Come on. (laughs) I mean, here's my question. When will people uh, on Hulu shows learn to stop dating Sebastian Stan? Between Pam and Tommy (laughs) and I, Tanya, you know, like, you got to stop dating Sebastian Stan. I know he's attractive, but... And Captain America, the Winter Soldier, yeah. Indeed. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Anyway, okay. So they go on a date, and suffice it to say that... um, I'm not even going to give away exactly what it is, but suffice to say that Sebastian Stan has some connections with cannibalism. Mm. He has certain appetites. Yes. And Wait, is this the story of, uh, what's his name, the actor? Uh, no. uh, uh, he who shall remain nameless, Jeff, <laughs> yeah. on this podcast for the purposes of uh, defamation. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. That, you, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, that guy. We've that only ever praised guy, him. We've only ever guy, praised perhaps, him. Perhaps, yeah. you know, in that Ranger movie. Uh-huh. Um, oh, right. Yes. <laughs> anyway. The, twinny, uh, the twin guy. It wasn't a twin. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow. Um, right? So here's what I think about Fresh. I think that this movie is a decent horror thriller. I think it is a... It's gorgeously shot, and Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan are just like really compelling actors. I think it completely fails as any kind of commentary on modern dating. Like, this is supposed <laughs> to, I think, like, kind of the main thrust of a movie That's like this is just because you've never dated a cannibal. It's, mm. it's so true. It's so true. I think the main thrust of a movie like this is, you know, like uh, uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out, right? Like, that, that's a movie where it's like, it takes this idea of like, you know, you know how like um, white people, you know, uh, like desire black people's bodies. What if they actually took over black people's bodies? You know, mm-hmm. like that's kind of it's like this kind of thought exercise that expanded out into horror story. What uh, Fresh proposed to do is like, okay, what if you know guys out there actually wanted women's flesh? 
you know and it's like mm. i just i just don't feel like it's that far yeah. off from the actual horrors of modern dating it's a little you know I mean? on point yeah, yeah. I, I just it just doesn't feel like modern dating is already terrible enough in and of itself without like you know like it's already really really terrible um and I just don't feel like this premise did that much to illuminate it for me, mm-hmm. you know? It would be um, more interesting seen... if, like, she was the cannibal, you know? Yeah, like, or something, you know? Something, oh, wait, yeah. didn't we see that movie? We saw yeah, that we movie. Yeah, we did, sort of. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so de- decent horror thriller. Like, if you're looking for a decent horror thriller with some great actors, I think you'll enjoy Fresh on Hulu. Um, but I don't know. It just it just wasn't mm-hmm. a thing where I'm like, wow. Like it makes me think about the horrors of online dating in a whole new way. Yeah, and that's I remember, how it's been positioned. Uh, you know, at Sundance, people were really digging this one. So I was. It's been on my list of things to watch. But Daisy Edgar Jones, she's fantastic. Everybody, all of you, uh, Dave and Jeff, especially you guys should watch Normal People on Hulu. Yeah, I've heard she's the, great in that. The adaptation of that book, and she she. Oh, I think I did watch some of that. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And there's some great sequences in Fresh too, so I think it's it's worth checking out mm-hmm. if you're into horror. Um, but it just it wasn't like next level for me, you know what I mean? So anyway, uh, speaking of things that weren't next level, The Dropout. <laughs> this is a show that's on Hulu that is about the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos scandal. Right. I will admit to you that I come to this with a, a lot of pre-existing knowledge about Theranos. Yeah. I've you you sure. know the story. I yeah. read I the like, book, yeah. which Bad Blood, which is excellent. I have listened to the podcast on which the show is based called The Dropout. <laughs> and I have also watched the Alex Gibson documentary about Theranos. And so yeah. this is coming from the perspective of somebody who already is extremely familiar and is curious if this show adds anything. And my answer to that question is, in my opinion, not very much. It, mm-hmm. it does add one thing that I think is very valuable to the story, which is when the Elizabeth Holmes story is getting told, like, often you don't get a sense of what it was actually like to work at Theranos. You know, like what it was like to be one of the grunts working at this startup trying to change the world. And oh, no, I, I thought think that documentary did a pretty good job. They interviewed a yeah, bunch of Yeah, they interviewed the a bunch of the people that worked there. But like yeah. this one actually like theoretically shows them like in their mm. environment and like mm-hmm. trying to get these breakthroughs and so on and so forth. And like shows a little bit of like what the camaraderie might have been like. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it, it does provide that atmosphere in a way that I feel like the other work does not. But the story is bafflingly told from the perspective of Elizabeth Holmes herself, who, in my opinion, did some extremely shitty things. Pretty you know, unreliable like, narrator, as narrators go. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and uh, I couldn't stop thinking of this uh, thing that Alan Shurstel said on our review of American Animals. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that review? I do. Yeah. I really liked that movie. Yeah, so that's a movie uh, about these guys that like did this heist and and basically uh, the um, the purpose of the movie. So it's based off of the real like real life story, and I think the purpose of the movie is to like illustrate these people who did this heist, who were otherwise nobodies, is to illustrate like how they did a really terrible thing. You know, they did a thing that like traumatized people and was bad. And Alan Shurstel on the review, and I, I just, I will always remember this thing he said. He's like, you know, despite the fact that uh, these people were portrayed in a really bad way, you know that when one of these guys who the story was based off of, you know that one of these guys on the third date, the DVD of this movie is going into the, uh, into the, uh, the, the player, basically. Like, the <laughs> fact that they got a movie made out of them and the fact that you had some pretty high-name actors becoming them um, is in my opinion, 
me, David Chen's opinion, like kind of cool and glamorous, even though they are being portrayed to be like terrible people in, in that movie, the, American Animals. There's you know? no bad publicity position. Yeah, exactly. that, that is my theory, you know, and we just watched the Scream movies for the Patreon page. And like there was one of the Scream movies is very much about how like this like lust for fame that a lot of people have today. Uh, people will get fame however possible. And for a lot of people, it's desirable in some way. And I couldn't help but think about that when I was watching the story about Elizabeth Holmes played by Amanda Seyfried, uh, who, in, in my opinion, the, the, the language of this show is very sympathetic to Elizabeth Holmes, in my opinion. I know, like, yeah. virtually I've every heard a lot of people I've read saying, disagrees with me. Yeah, a lot of people are saying otherwise. Yeah. Right, wait, but wait, in so, my but... opinion, so I've seen, I've seen the first two episodes, basically. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, it's like, it's putting you in, like, it's making it so that she is a very sympathetic character who's like, just trying to change the world. And she's doing terrible things to do that. Um, but she's just trying to change the world. It, it, it's kind of like in a cop show, like Vic Mackey in The Shield. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, at the end of the day, he did like really horrible things, but like, you still kind of are rooting for him in some way. Right. Um, anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, all those shows, right? The Sopranos, the, you know, Breaking Bad, right. all those shows, the right. premise of all those shows is you find yourself rooting for these awful human beings. Right. But, which I don't, I, I don't think your position is you shouldn't make a movie like American Animals or a show like The Dropout just off the face of it. That your position is, is that you have a responsibility to sort of position the bad people as bad people. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think the creators of the show think they are positioning her as bad, mm -hmm. you know? And in fact, many people agree. So like yep. people I mean, are probably screaming at their, pe people are screaming at their cars listening to this right now and saying <laughs> David Chen is wrong about this, right? Yeah. So well, it's just a normal episode of the show. Yeah, it's a normal <laughs> episode of the podcast. But like, in my opinion, it, it is mm -hmm. far too sympathetic to her. Um, so how? That, that's my question. Because I've heard Because it makes from it out to be like, yeah. oh, she's trying to change the world. And sure, she like... She's trying to change the world and do ultimately a good thing, which is probably true in real life. But she thinks she is. She I she think. thinks she is, and she's doing terrible things. But like, at the end of the day, you know, the, the things she did, in my opinion, were monstrous. You well, know, absolutely. like and Thanos, dude. Like, yeah. It, I mean, <laughs> and you could say that that it portrays Thanos as a th sympathetic character because all he wants but to do is save the world. Thanos isn't a real person. That's my well. That's, that's why I'm. A, that's why I'm using that as an example. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with Walt Walter White and Tony Soprano like being antiheroes. Like, oh, I see. I'm less Wall Street cool thing. If, it, if it's a real person, basically. right? The Wolf you know? of Wall Street thing comes in here, but yeah, exactly. I, I have not seen the show, so I need to yeah. see it. But I, I've heard like it is at least worth watching, and mainly because uh, Naveen Andrews, yes, I, is you're, in the show. Guy, Naveen Andrews is in it. I, I knew you'd like this. I right? love him so much, but he's yeah. playing Sonny, the the like. <laughs> The basically her partner at their yeah, partner, like her yeah, exactly. secret boyfriend at the time too, and you know uh, th that this is guy. Exactly what I'm talking about different yeah. like you a should not, weird. if you're a Sonny Belwani who inflicted yeah. untold you injury. Andrews playing you, amazing. In the yeah. Andrews, like who? Even if like some guy was playing you, who's like really like you know, if I did terrible things, guys, mm -hmm. I've never done terrible things. But if I did terrible <laughs> things and like Henry Golding played me in the. Uh -huh. You know the biopic about David Chen. I would still be like, okay, yeah, sure, Henry Golding is a, a villain for you, but yeah. that's still pretty badass that Henry Golding <laughs> is playing me. You know. Anyway, I, so, the, so like, Dave's position is casting should depend on the the heinousness of your crimes. No, it, you should there, only. A lot of things. You yeah. need to earn Naveen Andrews playing. <laughs> you need to earn Naveen Andrews. Sorry, okay? Naveen, True. you're too cool to play this terrible character. 
Uh, I mean, Naveen like Eggers is like a really charismatic, good-looking, awesome Beautiful dude. man. You know? Yeah. The beautiful oh, man. He- I'm not arguing that <laughs> yeah. point. I'm just saying... Uh, you know, I'm sorry. You've done awful, awful things. We have to get an awful, awful actor to play you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. You know, and many people will probably find my coherent, uh, my, my uh, viewpoint incoherent. And that's okay. That's okay. But my position, here's what I will say. I think if you've watched all the other stuff or you've listened to the podcast or uh, you've watched the documentary, I just don't think the dropout adds that much. So mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's my position on it. But a lot of people disagree. So anyway, that's yep. the dropout. It's the the Alex right. Gibney thing, uh, I would just say everybody should watch that. And also, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, I, I think I talked about that here on the show because I interviewed Gibney a couple of times around that thing. And he he gave me a great quote around that because uh, Errol Morris was the guy shooting the Theranos ads at one point. Mm. And Gibney was trying to get Errol Morris like, so this thing fell apart. You were like a big fan of her. What do you have to say? And what Errol Morris said something like, you know, at, at the end of the day, all uh, God is the only one I have to answer to. <laughs> Just this amazing, amazing quote. Anyway, very Errol Morris quote. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I agree. Love that it. is that documentary is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I honestly would recommend also it's more time efficient, you know, because you just watch a documentary instead of, yeah. instead of a eight, six part series, whatever it is. So, uh, but that's the dropout. It's on Hulu. Everyone other than me seems to like it. So take what I'm saying with a huge grin. So it must be good. It must be good. It must be good. Divinder Hardwar. What have you watched yeah. this week? I have been watching Our Flag Means Death, which is a new uh, Taika Waititi co-created show on HBO Max. It is about a a friendly pirate, a nice guy <laughs> pirate who pays his staff uh, a living wage, who wants to be nice (laughs) and cares about the emotional stability of his men. And uh, I love the show. It's uh, it's adorable. It stars Rise Darby, who you may know. uh, I think it's pronounced Rise. Um, but you may know, like he's he's been in a whole bunch of things and Flight of the Concords. Yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, um, What we do in the shadows. The movie. This has much of that uh, Taika Waititi and Flight of the Concords energy uh but with uh with pirates and it's uh it's funny and it's sweet and it can be it's really about like a you know a rich dude pretending to be a pirate and being totally totally incapable of doing it and the entire show is really him trying to gain the respect of his crew and you know things happen along the way that uh make that all really interesting i've seen the first couple episodes and i'm really digging it so far it has the ytt vibe so if you if you've been digging like you know, um, what was it? What we do in the shadows and everything. Like it's uh it is a very similar kind of quirky type of humor. It's very sweet, and uh this one can also be violent too at times and has more than one uh Game of Thrones alum too. So that's uh, that's always fun to see. Uh Jeff Kanata, you also watched Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max. What do you think of it? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh Reese Darby, I I Reese Darby. There we I, go. I don't know if it's Reese or Rise. I, I, I I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. w- whatever the case, uh, I could listen to that guy read the phone book, and it would be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> he is just one of those people that is funny. Just is funny, and yeah. him just it is it is Reese Darby. By the way, so I will plug that into my my brain. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, I just I will watch anything this guy is in. I, I truly, uh, I, his brand of mm-hmm. dry. Uh, it's. It, the characters that he always plays are sort of inept, but really good people. 
And, and he's you a, never find he's that. He's a great you, physical comedian too. So it's like he's bringing all that together with like very standard physical comedy too, which is great. Yeah. 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 The, you know, you, you often find characters that are buffoons, uh, a la, um, you know, Michael Scott in the office who is a buffoon and inept, uh, but and and kind of you know there's a, there's a heart of gold that eventually comes out in those characters but the the way that this actor plays people who are who are sort of trying to be decent mm-hmm. and and but also you know inept and buffoonish it, it, he has carved out a really specific niche that is very much my jam mm-hmm. i i just find it so funny that you know in front of the concourse he's just trying to have a meeting you know, like Briet, are you? You know, are you paying attention, Briet? It's it, it's he's just trying to get through it, and he, here is well, he's like trying to do the right thing with all these pirates, and because he's not of pirate stuff, you know, he is the anti-pirate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. Uh, he has a full library available for his uh, people dude, to read at any time. There's one single cutaway. Where they're like, you have a library on a ship. What happens when it's stormy? And it like <laughs> cuts to him trying to hold all the books in as the story. It is so funny. Uh, I mean, the show is so funny and 90% of it is him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the show is teasing uh, Taika Waititi as you know the big bad in the so you know the first few episodes he's he's only like you only see the back of him but i think we're going to see a much more of him uh coming soon and the other thing that's really cool is i feel like they spent some cash on this show because mm-hmm. you know you have a show like uh, what we do in the shadows which is a show about vampires and all the vampires live in like three rooms that are clearly a set in a in a play, and it, you know, not taking away anything from that show, but it is not the biggest budget, right? Sure, I, show, I do think I am impressed with how many locations are on that show, though. Like, yeah, they, yes, they do but have, it's yeah, modern yeah. day. You know, it, right, it, they right. have costumes. It's not a period but, piece. Yeah, right. It's this is it's not. It doesn't feel like a a big lavish production by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that our flag means death. I mean, that that you see full on ship sequences right there's <laughs> mm. pirate ships it's not like it's not about pirates but they just happen to be you know hanging out in one little tavern somewhere it is it is a, a pirate show and i think it's cool that they're doing this very comedic uh you know what we do in the shadows take on pirates mm-hmm. but doing it on the scale of pirates you know it's it's cool all right. Well, I'm glad you both are enjoying it. I will be sure to check it out. Um, it's Our Flag Means Death. Is each episode 30 minutes or 60 minutes? Short, from what I recall. Yeah. I, I have to I look it up. I could not remember. <laughs> it's not, All it right. doesn't feel super uh, Well, super that's Our Flag Means yeah. Our Flag Means Death. It's on HBO Max. Devinder, what else have you been watching? Uh, I have also seen a bunch of Upload Season 2. This is the uh, Greg Daniels show. Uh, that's on uh, Amazon Prime Video. And the idea of the the first season uh, is that this is a world, it's kind of like a near future world where uh, they're able to upload human brains and minds into a virtual reality space. Uh, it's kind of a way to like keep living um, after your physical body dies. And this season just kind of kind of keeps going with it. And I have to say, um, uh, I have a chat with uh Greg Daniels is going to be on the Engadget podcast this week, so check out uh, check awesome. that out. Um, the first season kind of felt like setup for this universe and everything, which I really thought was interesting. It's sort of like um, 
it is like a near future dystopia type thing that has like combined company names. Uh, but it's also like, it was a way for him to do things that wasn't just like uh network level sitcom, you know, like there could be uh serious violence in the show. There could be sexy times. There could be nudity in the show. And it could be, it's a way for him to like tell more mature stories. I think season two, not uh not nearly as intriguing to me as season one uh the first season really ended up being like this cool like sci-fi relationship story that at times felt like a murder mystery yeah you, um, you love season one if i, I really love season yeah. one i really enjoyed it and has a great cast too like uh the the stars andy allo uh who is basically in a relationship with a guy who is dead and in the upload space played by robbie ml and their relationship is really good. I think the core cast is really good. Uh, season two, it feels like they didn't quite know as much what they wanted to do. And I think uh, now the uh, the limitations of the production of the show are also kind of like becoming more apparent. Uh, it looks really cheap at times, even though it's kind of like a sci-fi thing. Um, and it's ostensibly set in New York, but it, it really looks like it's shot in Vancouver. Like there's a scene in season two where like, we're in Central Park having the day of our lives. And it's like, it's like a little patch of grass in front of like a strip mall of uh, stores. I'm like, guys, just, just try a little. Um, so the magic of season one is not quite there, but I think, uh, you know, they, they prolong the mystery. Uh, they're trying to figure out like who killed Robbie Amell's character uh, or what happened to him. Was it an accident? Was it, uh, you know, was it purposeful? And uh, this season also delves more into people um, like a Luddite, clan you know a group of luddites who are anti-tech completely and kind of how they're fighting against the the world of big tech i think given where we are in society right now with tech kind of ruling all of our lives this show could be really interesting could be really good and i think season one mostly got there season two feels like they're kind of just treading water a little but uh you know it's uh if you enjoyed season one i think it's worth seeing where these characters go but uh yeah i, I wish it was better basically all right, that's Upload Season 2. It's on Prime Video. Yeah, that's what the premiering March 11th. All right. Jeff Kanata, what are you watching other than uh, Our Flag Means Death? Yeah, I also checked out a, uh, a show that was recommended uh, via our hashtag slash tag, uh, which I very much value a lot. Thank you, folks, for putting stuff in the hashtag slash tag. Um, this is a show that I had not heard of uh, called Wolf Like Me. And it stars Josh Gad and, oh man, I can't remember. I should have looked it up. Uh, the name of the female. Uh, Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher. Yes. Thank you. Um, and um, <laughs> I, I will mention the premise, which is spoiled in the title. So there's no reason not to mention it, but it, it certainly isn't revealed in the first several episodes. <laughs> it's... Um, Basically, well, let me guess, uh, one of the characters is a vampire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's about someone who wants wolves to like them. Will the wolf like me? Wolf like me. Wolf. You know, depending like on where me. you put the comma in that in that title, it could mean no, a very different thing. Money down. Um, <laughs> wolf like, <laughs> comma me. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, it is a uh, modern day werewolf tale, but done through the prism of. These very da emotionally damaged and uh, and and hurting uh, family people, <laughs> family members. These these people who have gone through a lot. It's a a single dad uh, and his his eleven uh, year old daughter. Uh, Josh Gad plays a single dad, 
by the way, I, I, I really like Josh Gad. I, I the, the show that he did with Billy Crystal, mm-hmm. who's uh, called The Comedians, I believe, um, woefully underrated. It was so good. I loved that show, uh, but nobody watched it. And I think it only had two seasons and then it went away. But man, it was great. And he in that show, he played a, a, an asshole. And it was just it was so great watching him just be a dick. Um, it was very funny. But I've always kind of thought of him as this young guy. And here he is playing this 40 year old dad. It, it just felt like such a, a transition for for him into this different place in his career. Uh, which I found to be uh, interesting and compelling. I, I I like his work a lot. I think he's very, um, very good actor. Um, but man, this show is dark, and and not <laughs> not dark in a oh it's about werewolves way. <laughs> dark in a, in a oh it's about real emotional trauma way. Um, and uh, it, it is. I watched the first three episodes. Uh, it, it, I, I don't know if I'll watch more. I, I, I sort of came for the cool sci-fi slash fantasy premise. And that is very much the B story, uh, at least so far, maybe it gets more prominent as it goes on. And when you get tidbits of that, it's pretty interesting and fun. Cause I think it's a, it's kind of a different take on, on that. Uh, it's much more, <laughs> it's like, what if teen wolf, but grown up and life is really hard. <laughs> wow. you know you know all right I'd watch that yeah yeah because like josh gad's wife died from cancer and her kid is really you know going through some tough stuff and it, he's he's going through tough stuff and it, it, it's all played very real and very uh genuine and and if you didn't have any werewolf stuff in the show at all it would still be the show about this sort of deep compelling drama um but it, man it's it it's it's heavy, you know, it's heavy and it's, it's a bit heavier maybe than I was prepared for. And, uh, I, I was hoping for some, some, some fun werewolfy goofballery, uh, but, uh, not goofballery, but you know, just some like, um, fantasy stuff. And, um, so unless someone tells me it, it really, uh, it really gets lighter, I guess, uh, I probably won't watch more of it, but uh, I do think it is well-made and I do think the performances are very good. It's just it's just a little heavier than than I was looking mm-hmm. for. I mean, this show was created by Abe uh, Forsyth, who did that movie Little Monsters we talked about a couple yeah. years ago. And that, that was another thing was like, I wish it was more the thing I thought it was going to be, you know. Um, <laughs> and he's doing a Robocop thing next, apparently. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, the show is Wolf Like Me. And uh, Jeff, this review has really intrigued me. I might check it out. Now. <laughs> this now's so, your jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> maybe I've enticed people to watch the dropout, so we're we're even. Yeah. Um, but Wolf Like Me is on available on Peacock. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pretty Litter. Most cat litters don't really make it easy to take care of my cats. They get super clumpy, the dust goes everywhere, and they don't trap odors very well. At times, that's made my apartment and other rooms stink quite a bit. At this point, my cats and I just think we deserve a cat litter that works for us, not against us. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's crystal formula is lightweight, ultra-absorbent, and long-lasting. Best of all, it traps odors instantly, and it doesn't clump. The super light crystal base is dust-free, pretty much, and that minimizes mess quite a bit. Plus, Pretty Litter's crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping for me, and I think we all kind of want that. 
Here's the smartest part about Pretty Litter though. The crystals change color to help detect early signs of potential illness in my cats. And that includes things like UTIs and kidney issues. And I really appreciate the fact that Pretty Litter ships right to my door in a small lightweight bag. I don't really have to run to the store and lug back a massive container of clay litter or anything like that. Now I've tried corn-based litters, I've tried clay litters, and they all have their own issues. Corn didn't really block smells very well, and uh, clay can just be really, really heavy. I think Pretty Litter is the best combination of like modern crystal technology that really blocks smells very well. It really keeps it so that you don't have to scoop that often, and uh, it just gives me peace of mind. I like to see that my cats are pretty healthy. So overall, Pretty Litter works for me, trapping odors, not clumping, and giving me peace of mind. That's why I love it. You and your cat will love it too. Go to prettylitter.com and use code FILMCAST to save 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, code FILMCAST to save 20%. prettylitter.com, code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's do some weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to start off by plugging uh, the Patreon page at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, we recently did a Scream uh, series for our uh, After Dark patrons, uh, and that was very well received. Really enjoyed doing that. This week, we're going to be covering Euphoria Season 2, but most weeks, it's actually just us hanging around and bullshitting about random stuff, and it's usually a lot of fun. So check that out at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, this week I have a plug, uh, on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, actually, which is, uh, you know, last week's episode, uh, I mentioned love is blind season two streaming right now on Netflix, uh, to the sounds of deafening silence from the rest of the guys who had absolutely zero interest in that show, <laughs> uh, as well. They should, as well. They should Re- very reasonable reaction to me talking about love is blind season two. But if you are one of the, I don't know, let's call it 16 people out there who, want to hear more discussion about the Netflix reality series Love is Blind season two, including a conversation about the reunion special. Be sure to check out my personal <laughs> Patreon where I talk about it with my wife at patreon.com slash Dave John. That's my weekly plug. Divinia Hardware, your weekly plug. Over at Engadget, I reviewed a cool car that I tested a couple of months ago. Uh, that's Kia's 2022 Sorento plug-in hybrid. I really like plug-in hybrids, guys. I, I don't know if you guys have like thought deeply about this stuff, but you know, I, I want an EV. I feel like everybody wants an EV, but uh, EVs are hard. They're expensive. Uh, they're tough to charge if you don't have the plugs at home and everything. So the beauty of plug-in hybrids is that uh, they have a little bit of EV range. Uh, this one has about like uh, 30 miles, I believe. Um, and you could charge it at home on a standard wall plug. You know, it takes forever, but you could do it. And that is enough for you to handle like most of your daily driving. So if I can get an EV that handles, you know, that gives me like a EV driving for like a 90% of the time I need to drive. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, check out my review of this thing. I think it's a, it's a cool plug-in hybrid. I just picked up one, picked up a minivan myself, uh, the Chrysler Pacifica. Um, this one I kind of wish was, uh, better, I guess, uh, <laughs> Kia's Telluride. If you guys have seen on the road, like this beautiful, like 
beast of a car that's driving around that looks like a Land Rover. Uh, Land Rover. Um, that is probably Kia's Telluride because that, that thing. Like, it looks like almost like a Cadillac. When it's I, as I'm looking at it, it's a beautiful car. It's super popular. Um, I wish that was the car Kia had decided to turn into a plug-in hybrid because that's the one everybody wants, and I need space for uh, you know planning for two kids and everything. And well, I don't. This, I don't think we mm-hmm. have actually announced that on the main show. We talked about it on the After Dark, but I don't know if people are aware, right, Devendra? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I have announced on social media. I'm yeah. announcing it here. Expecting another kid uh, in the the beginning of April, perhaps even sooner. But yeah, I <laughs> literally been any minute, any yeah. minute could happen. Could, could happen. Um, so I've been in the mindset of getting a bigger car because I used to have the Rav4 hybrid, and it, that thing was fine. Uh, but even with one kid, it was like a squeeze at times. Um, so I, I've been looking at like midsize SUVs. I've been looking at minivans. I settled on the Pacifica. I kind of wish the Sorento was a little better. It's a little plain vanilla, but uh, it's a cool car. I think for some people, if you like the style and you just want a bit of EV and you don't want to wait for the Telluride one, which will probably happen, uh, check this out. Check out the review on Engadget. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? I do the Dungeon Run. I haven't talked about it uh, a ton recently, but it's a show I'm really proud of. It is a long-form storytelling show. I talk about movies and fantasy stories here on the show. And I, you know, I criticize things. Here is my version of a narrative that I have crafted uh, alongside five really talented improvised storytellers. Um, I, I am the dungeon master and I, I create the setting. I play hundreds of characters and uh, describe this, uh, this big narrative that they play inside. And you don't have to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons to enjoy it. But if you like things like the Game of Thrones and, and Lord of the Rings and stuff. Uh, it is right in your wheelhouse. And I believe the story is worthy of those references. I, I don't think it feels like an improvised story. Uh, I, I'm i I'm genuinely very, very proud of it. And I've gotten um, a lot of uh, people who watch the show uh, who agree. And this last episode, uh, episode 111, uh, called The Trial of Trust, uh, is uh, I think one of the best episodes we've done. Uh, it is, um, it's got everything. Uh, the beginning is is funny and fun and silly. Uh, characters taking a bath uh, at the beginning, uh, and then it turns um, deadly serious and and really I think compelling. And some of the some great performances by our players. Um, and you can jump in with any episode of the show. I do a, a recap that I write every single week, uh, a new week recap every single week. Uh, that brings people up to date with everything they need to know. So you don't have to start at episode one, although it's fun to start at episode one. Uh, You can find The Dungeon Run on YouTube. Uh, You can find it as an audio podcast. It works really well, I think, as an audio book. We do, I I do dozens and dozens and dozens of voices and uh, our players do voices. And I I think it works really well like that in that format. Uh, But you can also uh, stream it on Twitch at twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Alrighty, those are our weekly plugs. One final weekly plug for the show. Uh, we've mentioned our Patreon a few times, but if you can't support us financially, which is completely understandable, we never want you to support us if it is in any way a financial hardship. Uh, there's one easy way you can support us. That is uh, by leaving a review for us. It just takes a few seconds. Uh, leave a star rating or review for us wherever you find this podcast. We would really appreciate it. All right, let's get to our review of. The Batman. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. 
as a warning. from the trailer for The Batman, the newest film by writer-director Matt Reeves. I'm going to read the plot summary for this film from IMDb. Quote, when the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement, end quote. That's from the IMDb plot summary. Joining us for our conversation about The Batman, he is... An extremely prolific podcast host who has done podcasts such as those analyzing the Michael Mann film Heat one minute at a time per episode. Blake Howard, welcome to the Filmcast. How are you doing tonight, Blake? Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Firstly, Uh, I'm great. It's so cool to be here. And yeah, I'm, uh, you know, as as far as life is going, as good as can be uh, amongst floods, amongst impending wars, amongst all those things, uh, we're going okay. But you know, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked to be here. Big fan of everything you guys do. So yeah, look, thank you so much for having me. Uh, We're happy to have you here, Blake. Um, I'm going to do something a little different. Usually I go straight to the guest for what their opinion of this film is. But I'm going to start with Devendra Hardwar tonight. Let's let's start with Devendra. Oh, so uh, you know we're, we're going to start this take, dance take a little early. Guest. <laughs> in, your, in your face, Blake. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, I would recommend you check out Blake's podcast, One yes. Heat Minute, and all the other podcasts over at One Heat Minute Productions. Uh, fascinating way to anal- uh, analyze films. Obviously, not the way we do it. We try to cram in a conversation about a three-hour-long film into thirty minutes. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, different strokes, different strokes. Anyway, Devendra Hardwar. By the way, this movie. A gift to the one minute podcast. Oh, I mean, absolutely. If you, you started mean, you doing a one minute, that. yeah, do yeah. a one minute show for the Batman, and you will be done approximately the heat death of the universe. You are, uh, yeah, you, <laughs> you, for years. you will be yeah. in business for a long time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Devinder Hardwar, uh, we're all fans of Matt Reeves. We love sure. the Planet of the Apes. I love movies. the Matt Reeves. Yeah, love him. Uh, love Cloverfield. I even enjoyed Let Me In. You know the remake I of Let the Right Let One. Me. In. I think Let Me yeah. In yeah. is great. Yeah, love criminally underseen remake. You know, mm-hmm. super talented guy. Wait, well, I don't mean to totally sidetrack, but do you think it's better than Let the Right One In? No, I th- no, no. I think okay. it may uh, be. But ooh, that's, wow. just, that's, that's, that's just that's just a good good topic for an after dark sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> topic. Yeah. But uh, I would say Let Me In is a very highly competent remake. Mainly because of, of Richard Jenkins, but yeah. yeah. Oh, he's so you gotta, good. Yeah. Gotta love Richard Jenkins. Gotta yeah. Love him. yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so uh, when I heard that Matt Reeves would be making The Batman, I was very intrigued because I've listened to interviews with Matt Reeves. I've watched all of his mm-hmm. movies, and I'm like, this is a very thoughtful individual about yeah. how to tell stories in a fresh and interesting way. All that he, said... He also turned those Planet of the Apes movies like into... I think um, like masterpiece epics. Like I mm-hmm. think those movies did not get the credit they deserved. Um, genre fans kind of saw what was happening. We reviewed them really well here, but nobody talks about those movies, even though I think like he pulled off a miracle with them. So yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I should point out he only did two and three. Rupert Wyatt yep. did the first one, yep. but yeah, he obviously kind of steered the franchise into a really fascinating place. Mm-hmm. All that's why two and three are way better than the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I think the first one is pretty solid too. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. I think, is still pretty solid. But you're right. I, I do think I, for me, the second one is actually the high point. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's anyway. like the. Yep. Go ahead. Okay, but Devendra, let's get into yes. it. the Batman. What did you think of it? I'm glad you want to start this dance early. Dave, because I feel like, like Batman the Joker, we're going to be just doing this forever, forever, you know? Uh, But I adored this movie. I love this movie. It's everything I want in a Batman's movie. Um, It's moody. It's very, very noir. And it's not afraid to be sexy. And that's something, um, as much as I love the Nolan movies, you know, especially Begins and The Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Returns has, uh, or Dark Knight Rises has some moments, but you don't movie, think the Nolan films are dripping with sex, Devendra? <laughs> I don't think that man knows. <laughs> I don't think that man dripping knows anything sex. about sex. <laughs> I know he has children, but I don't think uh, he knows how to convey uh, sexiness on screen. And Devendra, this can just I just sidetrack because... really quickly and say uh-huh. Chris Nolan's kids currently call him Reynolds Woodcock, the lead oh, yes, character I know. from The Phantom. I know. Threat. They troll him. They, <laughs> I love Christopher Nolan's kids. Like they, they are doing exactly what I'd love to do. Um, but maybe it may be because uh, I was basically forged by Batman Returns, which is a movie I saw as like, you know, around when that came out. That was like, this what, is 92? the Tim Burton film, right? Mm. Tim Burton. The second movie, Tim Burton. Yeah, the, the second Tim Burton, Burton film that was incredibly dark and incredibly dark, but probably offering to a lot of people who were expecting something yeah. more similar to the other one. As right? a kid, yeah. I was just like, oh, what, what is this? What is happening here? What is Michelle Pfeiffer doing? Like, it was, uh, as you will say, a formative movie for me. But also, I loved the the gothicness of it. Like watching this movie made me realize like the things we kind of lost with the Nolan movies because they were basically like he just, he just wanted to make Michael Mann movies. He always wants to make Michael Mann movies, right? So he he transplanted Batman into like modern noir, basically, right? Like neo noir. But we lost a lot of the gothicness of it. Um, it like the texture of like the animated series, which is, I also grew up with. I didn't really read the comics that much, but like the idea that, you know, these Batman stories just kind of existed in a whole other universe, especially like the Tim Burton-esque universe. That's just something that always kind of stuck with me. And I love that these movie, this movie has like a very, very clear aesthetic. It is not afraid to be Gothic. Uh, those seven comparisons are there and very obvious, but I also appreciate that it, it feels like a genuine um, revenge story that is exploring the nature of revenge and what that does to you and how much that makes you like your own enemy. So I get my Mad Max vibes from this. I think Robert Pattinson is fantastic. And Zoe Kravitz is amazing in this movie. I think she is astoundingly great. Um, no, you know, no disrespect to Anne Hathaway, but she it felt like she was wearing the name of Catwoman, whereas Zoe Kravitz does not even need to like adopt the name or anything right it's all the mannerisms it's like what she how she embodies the character it just feels uh it feels very evocative very sexy i really dig it matt reeves at this point i will just like he he has a uh you know blank check for me like he will i will watch anything he does i will you know be fully on board with all his projects this thing is probably certainly too long you know it doesn't need to be three hours there are certainly points where um plot wise it's kind of messy at one point like i believe like they they make a big discovery and five minutes later 
they make another big discovery that kind of upends that first discovery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Riddler stuff is is okay, but I think like not not great like mind bending puzzles or anything. Um, so there there are stuff that you know that could have been tightened up. But I really adored the experience of this. Like the action is clear and focused and like so so hard hitting um i kind of wish we got more of the batmobile that's where i'm getting like the mad max vibes too because there's a chase we get that is just uh feels good feels like a really nice gnarly car chase so i i just love the vibe this movie was all vibes for me uh i can understand why some people may call it too long some people may call it uh, meandering uh i i i disagree it was it's exactly what i want from a batman story all right well Blake Howard, I got to ask you this question. You know, uh, Devinger threw a lot of adjectives in there, like things like, "Oh, th- this is a a neo noir." Uh, mm. Structurally, it's it's like a police procedural. You know, this mm-hmm. is a uh, stuff that I would associate with the work of Michael Mann, uh, mm-hmm. a director whose work you've spent quite a bit of time analyzing. You know, yes. Uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, listening to Devinger's review, this is a slam dunk for Blake Howard, right? <laughs> this is this is Blake Howard catnip as my wife might say about <laughs> stuff that I'm into, you know, like, uh, so all that said, Blake Howard, curious, what were your overall thoughts on the Batman? I just want to say any of those were an adjective though, Dave. I, I, those I, were I, I, <laughs> oh my God. Here comes Jeff with the grammar. Um, but no, what I was going to say is something that people might not realize is, um, I, my first great love is truly Batman. Like I, I'm a guy who has multiple mm. Batman tattoos. I actually, my son's name is Keaton after Michael Keaton because wow that, that is that is also a great name thank great you. name for a kid also, yeah I think when you gave me your email address <laughs> to send Blake. the invite to yeah, it's, it's your Batman. email address has the term Batman in it <laughs> it is Blake is Batman thank you to 2001 Blake you thought that was the coolest uh-huh. email address of all time <laughs> I, I, uh, I didn't want to just dox you but yes it is Blake is Batman <laughs> yeah looking forward to some of the some of the uh, friends of the show reaching out but to be honest like this movie <laughs> Um, <laughs> he just doxed you. Yes. <laughs> hey, you didn't complete the email, you yeah, know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's all good. Um, all I would oh, say is, funny. I love Reeves too. <laughs> love those apes movies. Um, as a guy, was so excited that he was doing it. And you know, the things that I love about this movie, I'll just quickly touch on, which is, I really love the score. I I, I thoroughly, thoroughly love mm-hmm. Giacchino's score. I think it's absolutely spellbinding. It's completely. Uh, atmospheric, tonally perfect accompaniment to what they're trying to do. Uh, I love Greg Frazier. And you talked about the car chase. The one element of the car chase that I love the most is the absolutely, I mean, unfathomably amazing Colin Farrell, like hidden in like fat suit makeup. He is just, as the Penguin, was a huge highlight for me, source of big laughs and menace, mm-hmm. and I loved it. However, uh-huh. I would call the Batman uh, a needless collage of not only better movies, but probably egregiously of better Batman movies. And wow. this okay. movie for me, really, uh, it feels like it feels like a mood board of a movie. It, it, that, that's what it feels like. It feels like a mood board of saying, what if we took seven? And what if we took elements of David Fincher's Zodiac? And what if we took storylines like year zero or zero year rather or the long halloween and even straight scenes and motifs and montages from movies that are like mm-hmm. perfect in my mind the batman the dark knight trilogy from nolan like perfect movies all around and what if we human centipeded them together uh <laughs> to make this thing 
<laughs> and to be brutally honest, I felt like it was something, especially, you know, just to use an analogy is like the, the choice of the song Nirvana's something in the way went mm. from inspired with one needle drop and by the third turned to insipid. And I found this movie long. I found it laborious. I found Reeves' direction extremely frustrating, especially because Pattinson is doing something. He's going for something as what I'll call Brood's Wayne. Like that's his version of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I mean, this. he's emo. He's, he's, he's emo boy yeah. all the way. This is yeah. an emo's hell movie. It's right up there with The Crow. You know? yeah, mm, emo, yeah, emo's hell. And, uh, but I thought there was a couple of real scenes where Reeves' direction and the editing of the film was so unfair to him because they kind of like, I wonder like when you do multiple takes of a scene, I'm like, he's just not good in this scene. Why didn't they cut away? Surely there was another camera, another angle, some ADR. And I just really found that they weren't fair. And so all of the establishing of this movie that I had a lot of fun with, uh, right in the establishing sections of the movie, like the establishment of Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, the concept of the Riddler, a really undervalued um, Batman uh, villain in the rogues gallery. I thought so much of them then got undercut by like narrative convenience and how they had to tie up the story and how they had to pile on. I think you put it Great, uh, greatly, Davinja, when they're talking about like there were moments where there's like mounting discoveries mm -hmm. that kind of had to double back, but just to, just like yeah, slice slice those down, you know, yeah. like uh, neaten that up a little, yeah. yeah, better. So for me, I just felt like it was a movie that was searching for a take, you know. So uh, with with the camp from Joel Schumacher with Batman Forever, or you know, kind of mythic with uh, you know Zack Snyder's uh, version of Batman and Batman v Superman, or monstrous and mythological with the formative Batman Returns, or just you know authentic Michael Mannion neo noir from The Dark Knight. They all had takes, and I just felt like this movie was hindered by an aspiration to take a movie so thematically perfect like Seven and stitch DC characters to it. And I just kept recalling all the movies that it was calling back to and going, I have those other texts. They're mm -hmm. better than this. And I really, I really was the target audience. The guy who made Apes took my favorite character and one of my most exciting actors and so many other exciting actors and was aping, pardon the pun, from some of my favorite filmmakers, other texts. And I utterly detested this film. I, there are not much that I would say. And, and as a person who constantly measures a movie's profundity in its rewatchability, I'll never watch it again. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, Blake. I think I know why Dave chose you to be the guest on this episode. <laughs> I feel like there's a bit I, of a ringer. Uh, there's here. a. I yeah. don't know which one of you is Robin, but <laughs> <laughs> I am Blake, wearing me... I am wearing green tights right now in Badalone. Yes. <laughs> I wanna I wanna uh, ask. I'm really curious what Jeff Kanata thinks of this movie, but I am curious, Blake. What did you think of uh, Todd Phillips's Joker? Were you a fan of that movie? Because that movie felt to me like. We're gonna mash up King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. and just uh, it's a Put it's a comic book character, you know, in it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and you know, obviously, it, it made a billion dollars, and I think he won an Oscar for that. Uh, well, Keith Phoenix won an Oscar for that, if I'm not mistaken, right? So it's not as though it's. Uh, so I, l l let me pause there. What did you think of Joker? Were you a fan of that movie? No, I wasn't. I I, okay. <laughs> it, I, I love the Joaquin Phoenix performance. Um, uh, the score of that movie too uh, is stunning. I still I still do a hell of a lot of writing to Hilda uh, Guanadotta's Oscar-winning score from that movie. Um, I think some of the atmospherics were good. But for me, the challenge that I have is you know, an enduring affection for 80 years of some of the coolest comic book stories ever written. And I just feel like the Joker was so cheated 
in that story that made him kind of dopey. And, and I think the online rhetoric was like, oh, but it was all a dream. And I'm like, guess what I hate? stories that are so stupid that say, it was all a dream. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, if you think that 30 seconds at the end is going to save a whole movie, like, no, it's not going to happen. And so, yeah, for me, I was... I was one of the rare people, I guess, who wasn't an overarching fan of that movie. I've never watched it again. I've had no desire to watch it a single other time. I think I've listened to the score about a hundred times, um, but I've absolutely no desire to go and watch that movie just again, because I, I think it probably synthesized to me watching the Batman. It's just like, yeah, look, the King of Comedy exists. Taxi Driver exists. I don't need to see it cosplayed up as the Joker. Like I don't, that's not what I want in a Joker movie and, and, and the Joker has always been the, uh, you know, the Omega to the alpha of Batman, a genius. And I just found this guy was like, again, was like stumbling, blubbering through his way through the entire film. And then it climaxes and what it has to say potentially about, I guess, our contemporary society is a completely different thing. I think some of those ideas were really strong, but as an overall movie, I was like, yeah, so what? Like it didn't, it, it does not resonate with me whatsoever. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Masterclass. Oh, I love this sponsor because I love Masterclass. What an incredible repository of the coolest people talking about the coolest things. Masterclass lets you learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn Filmmaking, I know you're listening to this podcast because you love movies, you love filmmaking. Oh my gosh, the number of people on Masterclass talking about filmmaking. You got James Cameron, you got Aaron Sorkin, you got Ron Howard, you got actors like Samuel L. Jackson and Natalie Portman and freaking Helen Mirren. I mean, the list goes on and on. I would be here for an hour telling you about all the cool filmmakers, entertainers, actors, writers that are just in that field. But man, what I love about Masterclass is that it's got so much more. It's got cooking classes. It's got negotiation classes, writing classes of all kinds. You know what I just watched? The most recent one I just watched? Metallica, How to Be a Rock Band. Am I going to be in a rock band? No. I mean, sorry, 14-year-old Jeff, you're never going to be in a rock band. But guess what? I love Metallica, and I loved watching them talk about what's important to them, breaking down songs that I love. This is incredible. They have over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors. I guarantee you the thing that you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. And the coolest thing about this is it works in your time. You don't have to watch an entire masterclass in any one sitting. You can sit down and, and watch things 10 minutes at a time. It's incredible. You can watch it on your laptop, on your phone, or your TV. And they have the new audio mode where you can listen in your car or while traveling. It works great that way too. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Filmcast listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash filmcastpod right now. That's masterclass.com slash filmcastpod for 15% off Masterclass. Jeff Kanata, I'm so curious to hear, what did you think of the Batman? 
Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of the Batman is best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know, uh, this is Blake's first time here. I'm not sure he understands this practice that you're doing. <laughs> oh my gosh, Blake. Um, this is super embarrassing. I I would never do this. I would never put you through it. I would never put the audience through it. It is not something I enjoy. In fact, it's torturous to me and to everyone listening. The only person that gets any joy out of this, like some sort of maniacal supervillain. Mm -hmm. Joy is a strong word, by the way. We should point that out. Well, there's a certain uh, demented joy, I think. There's a a twisted uh, power, uh, just Mm -hmm. the thrill of exerting one's power. It's Dave. It's Dave Chen. All that's true. true. Dave has mandated, nay, (laughs) threatened, (laughs) that if there is not a new limerick in each episode of the film cast, the film cast will be destroyed. And you know, some, some people just like to see the world burn. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Like, yes. And, I mean, people, uh, yeah. Jeff, like, I feel like you have to save face from last week, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we need a new limerick. No, Jeff, Jeff nailed it last week, okay? He nailed it last week. All right, anyway, Jeff, please proceed. The Batman is really effective because it brings a brand new perspective to a hero we've known but has never been shown as the world's greatest detective. It, elegant, sweet, simple, sweet and very beautiful. well done, Jeff. Well, yeah, thank you. That, yeah, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. I'm going yeah, I mean, to teach that to some high school students in Australia. That's a great limerick. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, a guest I can ag- agree with and approve for a second appearance. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, the guest was, <laughs> did not care for my limerick last week. Uh, admittedly, wasn't a great limerick, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. We, we all have a rough. A limerick rough you week, said so. would anger us, which it did. It, it did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I will challenge Devendra mm-hmm. as to who loved this movie more. Oh, okay. I I think this is probably my third favorite Batman movie ever made. Wow. After The Dark Knight and Batman Returns. Do you include uh, Mask of the Phantasm? Like the, no, I know, not, really non-animated, good. non-animated. Oh, right, right, right. okay, well, yeah, non-animated. Okay. The animated is yep. in a different category for me because mm-hmm. uh, yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of really good animated ones. Um, I think this movie is a, a, a complete home run. You know, you guys know. Uh huh. I am not a fan of the three hour movies. <laughs> <laughs> if a movie takes three hours to make, it's a TV show. You know what I'm saying? To watch it, yeah. this, this like, really does feel like a TV watch. show. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie, I was enraptured. I felt like the time flew by. I absolutely loved it. I think Matt Reeves is a virtuoso director. I mean, uh, just an utter mm-hmm. showing things in a way I've never seen before, putting cameras in places, brilliant execution the the noir the grittiness the brooding emo grit of this gotham the 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 characters like using the entire palette Mm -hmm. of the batman universe in any way he wants you you Uh, can smell this gotham just from the texture of it Yeah. yeah and it's and it's so it's so you know batman begins i use as a verb often to describe just the concept of of sourcing 
things mm-hmm. that are that are fantastical, you know, like you know th- that movie Batman Begins, the whatever, you know. Um, but this movie goes even farther and just completely street levels Batman in such a cool way. I mean, it is, it is, it is Daredevil. It is, uh, you know, the these the street level hero, the the guy who literally, you know, I loved how much Batman is just standing in a room with other people. Oh, He's yeah. just standing yeah. there with other people confident they're not going to figure out who he is i just i I love it i love it um davindra talked about the batmobile car sequence what an audacious brilliant action scene shot a car action scene shot exclusively in close-ups how do you do that this movie has a car, a car chase where like every shot is on the hubcap, you know, mm-hmm. inside the the rearview mirror. Like every single shot is a close up in a car chase. I just it's so unique and so cool and so different. And I love I mean, it's not all of the joke or uh, excuse me, Riddler um, uh, uh, riddles, yeah. s- such as it were. Our, our home runs. There is one riddle that really befuddled our world's greatest detective. And I just had to say, buddy, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, they're not all <laughs> home runs, but enough of them are home runs where it does feel to me that I, I, I did feel like it was this awesome tete-a-tete for these two brilliant minds. And there was an, there were a couple of gasp moments where, you know, we I'll, we'll talk about them in spoilers, but you know, putting things together just felt like oh, so cool, and it, you know, the places we go, the the intricacies of the relationship between people, and dude, Robert Pattinson, holy shit! I mean, yeah, he's playing the sparkly vampire as Batman, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it like, it works. It worked for me so much. This, this, he, he's doing so little. It's so subtle. It's so still. Mm-hmm. It's so contained. And it works, man. And this notion of Bruce Wayne, like, I've never seen a take on Bruce Wayne that makes sense that no one knows he's Batman. But it's like, oh, wait, what if Bruce Wayne is this recluse that no one sees? Yeah. Like, that, that makes weird sense. skinny rich kid like yeah. he's batman no. no there's no universe where i'm like that is probably that terrifying 12 foot tall <laughs> bat that's going around the city you know <laughs> the, the, I, I i you know uh mm-hmm. his suit but, is just boots boots and like a, <laughs> just yeah. like a very basic setup like yeah right yeah. and catwoman is literally just wearing a cat burglar mask over her no- like it's it's all so stripped away and and stripped down like the debut of the batmobile is so Friggin' badass. It, I mean, I was just so into this movie. I didn't want it to end. It's three hours. I didn't want it to end. Yes, there's stuff you could cut, but I was into it, man. I just wanted to live in this universe with these characters for as long as possible. It, it felt to me like a, a triumph of reimagining Batman. Because at this point, like, what else do you bring to the table? How do right, you, right, right. how do you, where do you go from Nolan at this point? And I'm like, this is where you go from Nolan. You like, strip away even his artifice and you literally just drop it down to street level and make it this detective story. Yes. 
Have I seen something like this in the movie seven, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, but guess what? I fucking love stories like that. Like <laughs> another one of those awesome stories. Okay. I mean, just because, you know, Goodfellas was another mafia movie, but it's brought, it, it was, yeah, I love that story. It didn't feel, this doesn't feel to me like a, a rehash. It feels like, oh yeah, I, you know, a, a, it lives in, it is among peers. It is, mm -hmm, it lives mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder with those movies. And it, it is as visceral and fun and, you know, gritty as all those movies. And, you know, Blake, you said, I don't know this movie's searching for a take. I think that's the take. The take is yeah, the yeah. world's greatest detective. Here's the world's greatest detective. No Batman movie has tried to do that. And I think that's really, it felt really fresh and really cool. And I was so sucked into it. Mm -hmm. I feel, uh, speaking just to what you were saying, Blake, like the take, like what what is this Batman this Batman is opera. You know, this Batman is, yeah. it almost feels like at the level of Shakespeare, right? Like, we will always have a Batman. We will always be retelling these stories, right? We'll always have a Joker and some of these villains around. It's like, it's the mythic status of what these people are and what they represent. You know what happened to his parents. And I love that this movie didn't even have to, like, That was a nice relief. That. It was a nice relief yeah. to not... We don't ever need to see Thomas and Martha Don't ever die need again. to see it again. It's cool. The last time I saw them killed, it was in 4DX. And the seat, <laughs> the seat was like moving. No, you felt you know, them killed. I felt <laughs> them killed. Every bullet shot, the, the seat like tilted to the side as the camera tilted. And it was it was something. Uh, to me, like the mythic level, the operatic level, this movie begins with with an opera, basically, right? So it, it just feels like on, a, on another level, I guess, from what we've seen before. But uh, yeah, glad you liked it, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, let me start with this, what I liked about the movie. You know, uh, I think this is probably one of the best looking Batman films I've seen. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. the vision of Gotham is Which is, is saying really... something with the Nolan having made three of them, right? Yeah. And, you know, Nolan... It's really Nolan's nice Batman that Edinburgh... It's really nice that Edinburgh and Glasgow, this is one thing I will agree, um, seeing the more gothic architecture of Edinburgh and Glasgow yeah. and mm. the rain certainly suits. Like that's, you know, having been to those towns and and feeling the texture of like living there, that little added wrinkle of what Gotham is, not just Chicago, which is so Nolan and not like Tim Burton's imagining of like, you know, Pinewood or Nolan's was like New York and uh, New York mm -hmm. really for Rises and then, you know, um, Chicago for for The Dark Knight. But yeah, that was actually really good. I, I really like the Edinburgh Glasgow of it all. Yeah, uh, so certainly like where they shot and the production design is really interesting. Uh, you know, Nolan has made some of the most memorable visuals of all time, like in, in cinema history. But uh, from a filmmaking perspective, uh, the Batman films and, and most of his films are shot in a very similar style. They mostly use like medium... Mm -hmm. uh, range lenses and there's not that much going on in terms of uh, I would argue like um, uh, depth of field just as one example right and I think that in this in this film there's like you know he's using every piece of the buffalo in this right like there's interesting uh, foreground and background and uh, interesting lighting and there's just tons of compositions that clearly you could frame it and not only would it look beautiful but it would be like this represents an idea and I really like the way the movie looked. Um, and you guys have already, you know, Jeff, you've already talked about um, this stripped down version of Batman. Even with Batman Begins, which purportedly showed how Batman began, 
there, there's a lot of like questions that those movies raise, right? You know, they they got like Lucius Fox and uh, and they use like off the shelf, you know, Wayne Enterprises software. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, somebody designed Christian Bale's version of the Batmobile. Sure, somebody's gonna be like, see it on the news and be like, wait a second. There, like, there is there is and, one piece of tech in this Batman that I think may they probably shouldn't have even included because it does kind of kill the like greedy the illusion, level. Yeah. But yeah. but but I would say uh, and, and and by the way I should point out that was actually a plot line in in uh, the Dark Knight was like mm-hmm. one of the characters was like trying to blackmail Bruce Wayne because he figured out where the tech was coming from. Yeah. Um, but what's great about this version of Batman in the Batman is. It is extremely plausible that one dude and his butler came up with all this stuff. And, Absolutely. Uh, like they, they hacked it together and they figured out how to like uh, make this stuff work using just like off the shelf technology that you know maybe had some custom software into it or whatever. Um, and I, and, I really and what a love cool that Bat Cave he has. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's all very plausible. It's yeah, all very plausible. plausible to me. You know, well, it's, it's also like, it's yeah. actually a cave, right? Because the Nolan stuff we saw, I think, was uh, kind of like a basement in the city. I think uh, we in, get a cave in, in begins. Yeah, we got a cave in begins, and we get it You're in right. rises. But in right. um, in Dark Knight, there was like in, a Dark Knight, underground. It's, it's, an un- um, yeah, it's an underground like bunker. room, basically yeah, with like lit, lit ceilings and stuff like that. So, but too anyway, clean, too clean. Yeah, exactly. dirty. But but point being, like, I loved kind of the the version of Batman from a from a conception standpoint. Like, it's just a really cool idea that like here's a version of Batman that like. You know, when he jumps off a building, he doesn't have the, you know, exoskeleton suit that Christian Bale had, you know. And so uh, I love all that. Love all that. Um, So it looked great. And um, I think the the vision of Batman is like kind of cool. Nothing else about the movie worked for me. I think the uh, I do find it too long. I found it to be like not interesting enough of a take. Yes, it's the world's greatest detective. But I fall into Blake's camp where it just feels like it, it does feel like this is. These, uh, you know, where, what the the SAT analogy is, as you know, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver were to Joker, Seven and Saw are to this film, basically, right? Like, and I can understand why that might be enjoyable. You you see a character with a take that uh, is something that's core to the comic book version of that character that he is a detective. Mash it up with some other Fincher stuff. And I could see people enjoying that, and I understand why you enjoyed it. It's just not something that I found particularly yeah. interesting. But there, there's so much else going on, is the thing. But yeah, I get that. Yeah, we well, we, we can talk more about how well that stuff worked in, in the spoilers. But for, for me, fundamentally, just like um, the the idea of like this is seven with Batman. But the, the problem for me is that I feel like it doesn't have even the social commentary of a movie like Seven, in my opinion. And you know, we we might disagree on that, but. Uh, the other thing is I found the level of darkness in this movie to be quite tiresome. Um, there's no color in this movie. Zero <laughs> there's no, color. There's no color. There's no humor. I was talking about tonally, Jeff. Oh, you know? yeah. I was talking about like um, this version of Batman is very much like Rorschach in Watchmen, uh, who himself yeah. was supposed or- to be like a quasi parody of mm-hmm. what Batman would be like in real life. This movie has a taxi driver monologue, basically, which I yes. don't know if that was studio intervention or if like, that was what Matt Reeves wanted. I kind of dug it at the beginning. Like April first, twenty twenty-three. It was, 1st, it, 2023. Yeah. It was yeah. a way to bring it in. You know, <laughs> by the end, by the end, he's just saying everything we just saw. So, like, okay. <laughs> exactly. yeah, I agree. That, it, so. it didn't need. It didn't need those. Uh, yes, that it really fact, didn't need it. It, yeah. it actually, I think, um, 
is at odds with the take, if there is a take, right? Mm -hmm. Him Mm -hmm. saying that all that entire intro of the film, the very beginning of the film is basically, I am the shadows. Mm -hmm. And it's like the rest of the movie, he's like, I'm standing in a room with people and it's cool. (laughs) You know? So I I don't think, I I don't think that was necessary. I am vengeance and also I'm going to wait patiently by this corner while you guys figure out the clues. And I think the levity is such an important ingredient to Batman. And that's one thing that I, the the one take that I, I didn't like was like, I was so excited about Andy Serkis as like this kind of, and they even reference, you know, it's funny. He's already remade a Thomas Alfredson film, Matt Reeves, that is with, uh, um, uh, let the right one in from let me in. So I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, a little reference, to the circus makes all of us Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy nerds just be like, mm. Woo, I'm excited. But, um, so but, good. So but, good. But yeah. Andy Circus, he's not funny. He doesn't say much. And I'm just kind of like, Where was, where's Andy Circus the funny? Like, where's Alfred the fun? Like, you know, even, yeah. even darkly humorous. That was one thing that I was just like, and, and I, to, to tack onto what you said, Jeff, that opening monologue is so great that the last one, the last one, great. We did not need the last one. No. Well, not, like, yeah. I think we're getting dangerously into spoilers, so why don't we get the spoilers right now? Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So... Um, I think that, you know, you guys have talked about the monologue at the end and it goes to the question of what Batman's arc is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the idea is he, he, he realizes at the end, like, I realize I can't just be vengeance. I must be a symbol of hope as well. And to me, I guess I just didn't buy that arc for Batman. I just didn't feel like. Through the stuff that he learned in this film, he would realize like what he needs to represent. You know but that. But do you guys? Do you guys get a better sense of that? Oh, yeah. Like, why? Tell me like what about that arc resonated with you? I think the movie, the, the movie explores that. He did not need to come out and just like say what it was, but it is sort of like uh, I. I never really liked the 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 ending. You know, voiceover in the Dark Knight either, because to me that was always a little too like hammer to nail in terms of what's going on. Uh, whereas this one's like, yeah, w- we are introduced to this guy. Um, it's been a couple years since he's been doing this. Uh, criminals know he's around. They see the symbol like he he is affecting something, but he feels like he's not having he's not like stopping criminality. Right. Um, and he, he is like doing his own thing for his own selfish reasons. And I think it's important in that opening scene, like the guy, the guy is terrified of him, the guy he saves. You know, and I'm just very grateful that the Batman yeah. is into hashtag stop AAPI hate. Please stop. Um, <laughs> I was I was worried that the movie was kind of opening with that. I was like, oh man, not not now. It, it is extremely charged imagery to show an Asian person about to get beaten to death uh, mm-hmm. at a subway stop. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, you by know, the, but but by the end of this movie, like he he at least like his his defining moment is like. I need to save those people. I don't, I can't just beat up the bad guys to stop things. I need to, you know, I need to do something and make them trust me and give them something to live for because this is a dirty ass Gotham. Like nothing is good in this Gotham apparently, you know? Yeah. What's up, Jeff? He literally starts saying I am the shadows and at the end brings light to the people. He literally Mm -hmm. strikes a flare and walks toward people as the light and brings them out of the darkness, right? It's, mm-hmm. 
it's uh i thought it was very effective like that sh overhead shot when he's at the head of a trail of people in the water and they're they're all following the batman i yeah. just thought that was that, that's I what mean, i was talking about earlier jeff about yeah, like the yeah. visual symbolism you know like that's, yeah, that, that, yeah that's stuff that is rare in nolan films i would argue i agree um, and, and i think it, there's lots of it here and mm -hmm. i i agree that it didn't need to perhaps be spelled out quite that way i didn't great on me as much i just felt mm -hmm. like it was that stuff was kind of unnecessary and it's also kind of a funny notion that this guy is staying up all night busting crime and then gets home and journals about it you know i mean like, he needs a podcast you know, she's like, that's his podcast i take lots yeah. he needs a podcast that's yeah. his podcast, yeah. podcast. <laughs> the batman uh sponsored for, by uh, wayne industries for, for some reason squarespace.com with wayne industries we need exactly we need you know, <laughs> yeah. want to get that wayne industries coin I guess let me just let me just put this out there, and I know you guys disagree with this, uh, and that's okay. But like, uh, I guess I just feel like the concept of Batman is like pretty problematic and kind of gross these days. You know, like overall, yeah. the idea that here's a billionaire, and rather than you know, and he is explicitly called out in this movie as not doing anything for philanthropy, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than donate money to like fix social problems, he's like, I'd rather partner with the police. And beat the shit out of people. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of what this version of Batman is. Although I do wonder and if he was like, "My dad gave the city a billion dollars. What <laughs> yeah. more do you want from me?" I'm. I, he's actually kind of a broke billionaire, right? Yeah, because sure. But, but yeah. that doesn't make him. You know, right? That yeah, might yeah. be true, and that might be plausible, but that doesn't make him less problematic. In my opinion, it's just. It's just sure. like it, to me. Well, it's but like, that's it, what he learns, right? We mm -hmm. he learns mm -hmm. that that's the it's problem. It's not enough. And, it's yeah. not enough. Yeah. And Jeff and Devendra, and I, I love your point today, but I, I just wish. In lieu of that really grating, you know, final monologue, I got scars and they got scars and man, we got some scars and our scars are the same scars <laughs> or what? Like, and it's just real. It's bad, in my opinion. It's bad. It's bad. But, that was but a I'm, bad monologue. But, but I, I, was, I agree. I would. I would have just loved like let's fire up a montage with some visual symbolism and see that Bruce Wayne who's back into philanthropy and see that Bruce Wayne yeah. instead of being a single guy like in Australia right now it's flooding. And in some parts of flooded communities, you see these like famous like world championship surfers jumping on their jet skis and rescuing people out of houses. And that's good because those surfers, you know, they earn a couple of hundred grand a year or whatever. So, but, you know, bless them for getting out there and saving people. And I'm like, yeah, the billionaire in the cosplay is just one guy rescuing people. Dude, get some cash. Pay for some helicopters. Let's 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 scale this up a little bit, my man. Like we, we can do this together. You, know, you got some cash yeah, back at home. I mean, yes, yes, in the real world, right? That's what we would yeah. prefer, but that's that's not what this. It, it's a superhero I, movie. It's I, not, I could see the future, like they want to keep the series going, right? They want to do another one of these. It seems like, and I could see that being a point because in the animated series, that Bruce Wayne was like very uh, out there. He was very, you know, in the public eye, being philanthropic and like being a helper. This guy, um, you know, this is a Batman that seriously needs therapy, right? His therapy <laughs> is beating up guys every night. So he, we are seeing him kind of work that out. And I agree. I would love to see like, okay, where do you take this idea of uh, being a billionaire? How else can you help people? I would love to see more of that. And I agree. It's like, it's kind of problematic, but that is, that is every single vigilante story we kind of have like a, culturally we kind of have these things um you go back to stories with like the greek gods you know like they they didn't have to worry about money and they didn't they didn't always help humanity sure, it's, sure. Kind of, it's kind of like well, there i think, yeah. I think that's it, right. you know, let me just make one point and then i'm happy mm -hmm. to turn it over to you jeff but like the point i was just making is yes i get that that's where he ends up uh, uh, what my point is just that 
I think it's a pretty in, like at this point in our society and civilization, it feels like a pretty inherently problematic idea to me. This guy, as he's depicted on screen, and I wish that it would have started where this movie ended. That's all. I'm well, saying. but that's the anyway. that's the origin that that mm-hmm. you, you just complained about movie. him not yeah. not having an arc, and the arc is my dad was a a saint, and and it killed him, and it, I'm tortured, so I'm gonna be an asshole. To oh wait no my dad wasn't a saint, but I can be. Well, like that, okay, a c- couple of things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish what you're saying. I, I mean, I, I just think that's that's what we're supposed to take away is that flip flop yeah. of like learning the truth about his father makes the Batman a better hero and Bruce Wayne a better man. Well, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, I never said the movie doesn't have an arc. I just said it didn't really resonate with me. Like I understand that what the arc was, but it wasn't one that I found to be like particularly satisfying and then Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the part about his his dad it felt to me like the movie did not have the courage of its convictions you know like it's like hey by the way your dad got this guy killed oh wait no he didn't you know and that's what you referred to yeah i I kind of wish it went all the way because yeah uh, like go all the the way just be like yes it's about bruce wayne grappling with his Mm -hmm. dad not being a saint that would have been interesting the most recent telltale games uh, like the telltale batman game uh, a minor spoiler for some of those but the waynes are not good people in that right the legacy of the waynes are basically they're they're kind of another crime family and that game really leaned into it i think did some really cool stuff with that with those characters and like with how bruce wayne kind of related to him and yeah i i it kind of pulls its punches at that point i agree with that yeah Mm -hmm. okay but here's the thing i really liked about the movie and jeff i think we did not mention the words paul dano before this uh, yeah look at that so win for uh, me (laughs) um so paul dano is the riddler i actually thought he was incredible he is incredible. Uh, I, I yeah. thought he's amazing and really chilling and disturbing and upsetting. A combination of uh, the killer from Seven and the Jigsaw killer from the Saw films, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake, I'm just, curious. Just Paul Dano. Just like him being Paul Dano, too. I think like I, th- there's a weirdness there. Yeah. Like, well, you see, ju- he, he, like he's not even showing his face in the first yeah. two hours of the film. Yeah. And it, it's like not recognizable. Like if you showed me just the first two hours of this film and was like, who plays that guy? I would not be able to mm-hmm. tell you. Paul well, that's why I was bummed. I knew who it was is that like, it would have been a cool reveal. I think had they kept that a little closer to the vest. Cause you really mm-hmm. don't, you really don't have any indication. He's doing a, a, a crazy voice and you only ever see him in the mask. And it's, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was a cool, that shot where he's sitting at the diner and the camera comes around and you're like, that's fucking Paul Dano. You know, I think that could have been rad, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was in, in the very first trailer. That that shot yeah, was in the yeah. very first trailer for this movie. They released. So, yeah, so, so yeah. disappointing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Blake, I'm curious, you know, as somebody who kind of was similarly d- disappointed with this movie, curious what you thought about Paul Dano. I've, Paul Dano is a very, you know, sometimes when he, in the roles that he does really brilliantly, they give him an opportunity to like really stew and not have to say stuff where he conveys it like you get something like there will be blood which is his oscar nominated performance and he's much more of like a shrieking you know um loose cannon if you like of a character but i every moment that paul dano was just playing straight embodying this character was some of my favorite moments but as he was like further on master i one thing that immediately grated me was like there's a phenomenal opening scene where he's in for you know in an apartment with one of his victims and there was just a moment where like he sort of he shrieked when he was attacking them and i was just Mm -hmm. like I just didn't need him to shriek right then. I wanted like, <laughs> I just, I need, I needed him to be like menacing. Cause if he just did it deathly silent personally, I would have been much more scared. Like I would have mm-hmm. been 
terrified. Mm. And then in the middle of the movie, and I think we can all agree on this, even though we have wildly divergent takes in the middle of the movie, when he is dialed back and there's a moment where you just see him sitting in a car waiting for another victim, you're like, Oh shit. Like this is happening. He's Mm going to get this person. And it just, I don't know. I was filled with much more dread in those scenes, but that first one where he's like, like about to hit a guy. I'm like, no, this was not. I, I think it was that was that his first murder. Yeah, right? fr- I don't. I, yeah. I feel like that may have been like a first kill thing. Like he, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It I, was I don't, weird. Yeah, I don't know what the but, choice but he's was. Clearly but trying was... to play a guy who is barely controlling his emotions. You yeah, know? yeah. And so it sounds like that take didn't quite resonate with you, or you no. would have preferred a different take. But I, I think that. Mm. The take felt coherent to me overall. It felt like it felt, it that's, felt a, that's a guy who's like struggling to control his rage. And maybe, yeah. maybe a, I agree. Like by the time it's Batman and uh, the Riddler in jail, you know, it feels a little showy. I, I like his reaction to him thinking he was going to be teaming up with Batman and being disappointed with that. <laughs> that was amazing. I like that. I re- actually like the jail scene with Batman. Mm-hmm. It was um, great. That That moment was actually quite good. It's the next moment, and I don't know how far we can go. The next moment of the film. Are we no, allowed to go there? We're, we're in spoilers. Right. spoilers. Do we're it, in the spoilers. The scene where a, a, a silhouetted fellow inmate of Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. who is... Whoever could it be? Whoever could it be? A maniacal Gotham villain who cackles and laughs. When that scene happens... And the Riddler just starts being this easily manipulatable, malleable, yeah. like like side character. I was like, all of the promise of this guy, even in that final Batman scene where he's like, you didn't figure it out. Like, you know, Colin Farrell's Penguin says in the middle of the film, which made me howl, was like, I thought you were meant to be the world's greatest detective <laughs> and with a mistranslation of a key clue. And And when we get to that moment, I was just like, are you fucking shitting me right now like is this what we're really doing guys are we doing this are we showing him to be that weak that vulnerable because all the menace and maniacal brilliance of this guy all the way up to this point feels like in that little you know mid-movie post-credit scene that's all it mm-hmm. deserves to be called i was like ugh, no no <laughs> i, 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 I think you're like overstating he was, it perhaps yeah. personally <laughs> maybe maybe he was in a vulnerable state there as a uh, yes, his, his plan his life's work plan had just failed. blown up yeah. like you know so his, his best buddy batman was just like <laughs> no thanks i don't want to be friends with you yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. i don't know I, yeah. I, d- I did like i mean i was i was a a bit disappointed by the visual interpretation of the riddler uh, you mm-hmm. know that that was a bit too stripped down for me it just felt <laughs> but but i i I kind of won me over a bit in the final act with the notion that it was an easily repeatable, duplicatable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the, the call out even on his live stream of like, oh, you just buy those at this and such and such store, you know, Home Depot sells that mask. Um, and so I thought it was such a, such a cool twist on the uh, the supervillain henchman. Which is a, a a sort of bat universe staple, you know, mm-hmm. from back in the '60s TV show, where you have you know the Riddler and his like question mark henchmen. I just thought, oh, this is a I've never seen the postmodern movies attempt to do something like that before, and I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah, yeah. Turns yeah, out having henchmen can be super useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, I didn't like ahead, I didn't yeah. I, I didn't like it because in the Dark Knight. 
one of my favorite scenes is like, what do you get to wear out here? What do you get to come out? And he's like, I'm not wearing hockey pads. You know, I love that. I love the guys who are pretend <laughs> Batman's carrying guns, trying to like knock over serial killers. And I felt like it was, for me, that was too much of a direct riff. But I do agree mm-hmm. in the in the world that this is creating. It's a cool thing because as, as you said, it's not, someone doesn't have to like do much yeah. to be he's one also- of his acolytes. He knows he knows uh, his his uh, live stream engagement, right? Like he acknowledged <laughs> the viewers. Dude, shout so out, funny. shout that, out to the viewers. Yeah. A, a humorous movie. Smash, smash the like button. That was seriously a, a, a comedic moment that yeah, I thought worked. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But I think that uh, we should not understate the fact that this is a Batman movie that's extremely dark in tone. That also happens to have kind of these alt right t- style anarchists as the villains. Yeah, right. I think that's kind of cool that they yeah. uh, Matt Reeves trying to stick it to the alt right folks. That, was, mean, that was my interpretation. It's a, it's a clear statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is last week. You know, we we were talking about uh, our guest last week was was mentioning that the scream movies are sort of have incel villains, which. I didn't disagree with at the time, but it's like, no, all those people are getting some in the screen movies. <laughs> the, this is really the movie with the incel bad this guys. Is the incel you movie. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, uh, it's cool that they're, they're, they are the bad guys in this film. Um, if, and they are probably people who would otherwise be Batman movie fans, by the way, we should point out, you know, in real life. So. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Fanboys. We have not talked about John Turturro and I'm really interested oh, in what you guys think because so I, I thought he was very, very good. We have seen many interpretations of Carmine Falcone and I love this one. He's basically dapper mobster. So and then it's John Turturro. It's really weird watching this and then going back to Severance where uh, where yeah, he's, he's basically... Yeah, he's kind of a hapless schlub. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like, yeah. he's like a little... He's like almost a character from Frasier in Severance. You know, <laughs> like just like a, a hoity, hoity-toity guy. Here he's like, he's wearing nice sweaters, getting people killed, like you're getting the business, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, lo- really I love good. him. I think he I was so. It. I think he was so good in this. He's so good in everything, but he was so good in this in his more measured, controlled moment. And the because this is the spoiler section, he is like the Godfather of Gotham City, right? He's like mm-hmm. an old mm-hmm. classical mobster leading the families. There may have been multiple competing ones, but he's clearly gotten him. He's positioned himself even now in this corrupt police force as like as the mayor. He's the he's the underground mayor of Gotham City. And I really liked all of that, and I liked his performance up to that point. And it just made me want, like, I, I wrote in my review that, like, I gritted my teeth so hard it almost made me break a feeling, which was that <laughs> they did an homage, a, a bludgeoning one to The Godfather, where Totoro's in, like, playing pool in, like, this very cool, like, color of money moment with some of his henchmen right. And, right. and some key figures in Gotham. And on the radio, they're playing, I have but one heart. Like, that, uh, that song, that Al Neary song from connie's wedding in godfather one and i was like no we get it matt we fucking get it please i will say that that was you know a really cool execution of an action scene you know like Mm -hmm. i this is the thing about this movie as much as i didn't enjoy it uh there is really cool parts to it including that scene where batman busts into the uh, the yes. club and it's illuminated exactly. only by gunfire, right? Oh, mm-hmm. Incredible! Like, oh, you've never seen anything like that before. Incredible! You know? yeah. Hey, hello, Equilibrium says hello, sir. <laughs> Kurt Wimmer Christian Bale says movie, hello. Yeah. Yes, but yes, it's it's really well done, and you could just like 
it's moments like that when I'm thinking to myself, Matt Reeves has seen every single one of the Batman films, mm-hmm. and he's like, how can I do an action scene that's different than anything else that's ever been done in these movies? And I think he really accomplished it with that. It's oh, a, yeah. I mean, over and it's over. like it's very simple too. It's like not too showy. Doesn't require yeah. big gadgets. Um, the, the, I will just say quickly, like the we didn't need the video recording contact lenses. We did. We really didn't. <laughs> like if you're if you're gonna if you're really trying to ground this movie as like this is a Batman who built his own suit and put together his own car and he has these cool contact lenses that have no discernible power source or storage area, but they can record everything forever. Um, there are so many other ways we could have dealt with I that. agree. But, didn't need yeah. to happen. But I, magic, it didn't bother magic me. Contact it didn't bother yeah. me that much. It's like, eh, it's that, fine. Those are my, those are my uh, nanotech. It's really, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's only the <laughs> yeah. only sci-fi element in the movie. And it's, mm-hmm. it sticks out like a sore thumb a bit, but I don't know. I, I mm-hmm. forgave it because it, 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 it provided some cool interaction. Mm-hmm. And that scene where he's with, uh, with Zoe Kravitz uh, and she's yeah. going through that, that scene is, so good. so tense and awesome the way he you know she's interacting and he he's putting her in harm's way and she knows she's like if i look back at him it's gonna be a thing it's oh dude mm-hmm. that, that scene is so like every scene in this movie to me is so effective yeah this is this is why like blake i'm surprised you said you wouldn't rewatch this movie because i my feeling for a movie like how i know i really dug is like when i want to just go back immediately and like watch specific parts of it I, and i, I i'm fully fully prepared to like go back and sit through i want to see this thing in imax to be honest yeah um but like those sequences and you guys are saying like it's it is a little humorless i guess because because of the overall mood but there are there are great things like i love the continued interactions with the uh the henchmen at the beginning oh yeah the the, the, the repeated yeah the three the the twins that are Mm -hmm. So good. Oh, you know yeah. who so, I am, yeah. and then you yeah. know who I am, and then he just fucking walks in. So yeah. good. As Bruce Wayne, he could just walk in. And even that, like, that whole final thing where he walks into the club as Bruce Wayne, defeated because he's learning the truth about his grand about his father, that is just a great character moment, too, right? Where it's like he he is stripped of his armor, basically, and just trying to have a, a conversation with a that yeah, Gotham's most notorious criminal, and he can just do it because he's Bruce Bruce Wayne. Uh, fascinating to see like how Pattinson handles that differently too. Yeah. One frustrating thing that I had was he has this rad bat cave, and we established that in mm-hmm. the previous part of rad the episode. Cave. Rad cave, right? It's so good. Like I really did <laughs> like the concept of that. I, I like the cave element. I like that it was sort of a, a, mm-hmm. a halfway between cave to like also underground railroad times. Yeah, he, that he literally, yeah. The, he yeah, literally so, rides his motorcycle down the staircase to get yeah. to it. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all good. What really frustrated me though was when he comes in and makes a collage of all the crimes in this vintage <laughs> yeah. lounge room and just like yeah. trashes a lounge room. And I'm like, what the investors from Gotham coming over? Like, what are they going to say when there's spray paint all over the floors? Dude, you have a cave downstairs. Go downstairs. Listen, he's 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 brainstorming, man. Yeah. You gotta you gotta make you gotta write everything down. You gotta draw arrows to things. You gotta give no fucks at that point. Too, all, you know? all, I, all I think of is like my wife coming home with me planning a podcast project <laughs> and just trashing the lounge. Room. She's like, like you have an office. Can't this yeah. have happened in there? You have an I office. How does how does anybody sort what they're thinking if they don't? Use you spray paint on and the big floor. letters. Oh my god! Yeah, you can't. You, you lead at, at least a yarn wall minimum. Right? Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. you draw arrows from things, you can't <laughs> oh, yeah. connect to those thoughts. I, uh, I can't have a flow. Ch- I need a flow chart to be written as large as possible, preferably in spray paint on the ground. <laughs> and if I come to a conclusion, I need to underline it twice. 
Um, hey, Dave, I mean, let me ask yeah. you this question. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Are we in the middle of a Kravitz assance? Yeah. Mm. Well, she, she's just always good, is the yeah. thing. But yeah, it's a good year for Kravitz assance. Okay, there you go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's well, she was in Kimmy. She was great in Kimmy. So good. Um, loved her in Mad Max Fury Road. That was a long mm. time ago, but still a great movie. Time. I mean, you guys didn't see High Fidelity, but that was she. That was a oh, good the, uh, show. The series, that was a good right? reboot of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the, the Lady Revenge one. Um, Big Little Eyes. Yes. So good yeah. in that. She's, she's great. a badass. She's great in everything. She, she is so a badass. Love her and in she this. is a great Selena Kyle. Just yeah, she's yeah. like her. Perfection. Yes. But, but this is the thing, and I'm sorry to all you Pattinson heads out there. I think that Margot Robbie's attraction to a bacon and egg roll was stronger <laughs> than his to Zoe Kravitz. Like, mm, I feel like all uh-huh, of us as uh-huh. the audience were like, attracted to her and then every time she's like in front of batman and he's just like being his stoic like contained self i'm like that's the horniness that batman returns has you know and yes, i and maybe yes. maybe but i'm Blake, like mm. that's you don't get it dude that's why chicks want him because <laughs> oh. he's completely unavailable and <laughs> aloof that uh, is mm. pure twilight psychology that is that is the key yeah that is the I, I, absolute key to this, the pattinson uh, it's uh, the state, equation yeah. man yeah, yeah. you're sorry. ignoring me you're ignoring me you were yeah. now the hottest man alive exactly so. sorry yeah. i i this shows how much of a i guess a geek <laughs> i am and i'm i have no mistake but i'm i'm like i'm like look at that and i'm like when harley quinn eats that Bacon oh, and yeah. rolling in Birds love. of Prey. I'm like, that's oh, true that's love. love. That's cinematic that's love, love as much as it gets. Like, I haven't been as turned on in almost any movie mm-hmm. since Batman Returns. <laughs> then maybe Harley Quinn eating that sandwich. I'm like, I'm going to eat the shit out that's, of one of those. That's absolutely true. I do love the callbacks to Returns. Like, they're the uh, the camera with them kind of face-to-face mm. on the ground. I believe that's a callback. The bat and the cat. Wasn't that the, uh, the like, advertising yeah, campaign? Yeah, the, the cat, the, bat, the, tank, the, cat. the penguin, yeah. 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 Uh, lots of lots of fun stuff, but it's Kravitz I, look, just like brings a lot to this role, and I really appreciate that. Let me list a few more kind of cinematic highs that I had while watching this movie, and then some lows. Some lows. Okay, I have so, a few to add too. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, you want to go first, Chef? You can go first. You, oh, sure. Uh, I feel like I've, yeah. uh, um, there, there's just a, a few shots that that stood out to me. I mean, there's a ton in this movie that are mm-hmm. baller mm-hmm. as shit. But there's a is it the phone shot. Is the phone shot on your list? Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about with the phone shot. The phone shot is, and this is a moment I was like, okay, Matt Reeves, you, you fucking got me. You got yeah. me. This is a shot where uh, Batman is hurrying home because Alfred's about to be exploded. Oh, yeah. And he's calling, and the phone rings. And you're oh, like, oh, my so gosh, good. is Alfred going to get the phone? And then so a good. woman picks it up, and she's like, he's like, hey, something terrible is going to happen. And she's like, it already did. And then, like... Well, that's not really a shot, but yeah, the, the like sequencing of the events. sequence, yeah, you're yeah. Right, so right, that right. you you think, but, but you're it's just in like a close time. up shot of the phone is what I'm talking about, right? Like yeah. they shot the phone in such a way that you don't see anything around it, basically. Well, it's brilliant um, that we think they're doing the thing that every single movie yes. does, where he's calling yes. right before it's about to happen, right? And they're like, "No, it fucking happened hours ago, dude. Where were you?" It's, it's chilling. It's chilling uh, when she's like, "It already did." That, uh, that was like, then, "Oh wow!" And then the next shot is is. Uh, the tower with smoke coming out of it. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then so it, cuts, it cuts to like a wide shot where you see like fire people rushing up the stairs. Uh, it's like, it's brilliant. really well done. Brilliant. It's really well done. Yeah. Um, a, a few of the ones that I had were, yeah, uh, there's a shot where he uses, I mean, very few gadgety Batman-y things in this movie, but he does use um, the, you know, the, the bat, I don't even know what you call it. Grappling like a kite, gun. Kite, yeah. Grappling the, the, gun. Yeah. yeah. And and we stick on a complete tight close-up of Pattinson as it hits and yes. then yanks yes. him up. And mm-hmm, it's all like mm-hmm. 
uh, soft focus in the background, but he's clearly being pulled up. Th- oh, it's so fucking cool. Yeah, um, there's, there, there's a couple of those jib shots where they jerry rig, whether it's like a GoPro or whatever, but I really it. like that shot. They, and I, loves, like, I, like, I like the yeah, jib shot on, the, motor, on the yeah. motorbikes too. When there's that scene <sighs> of them riding together, that was actually, I wrote about that as like purely one of my highlights. When, and the score playing and those mm-hmm. guys riding around whatever it was, Glasgow or whatever country that they're in together in the rain at the and, yeah. and you see both bikes together. I was like, that's that's a really rad shot. Their whole like uh riding together at the beginning to like uh yeah, how are you gonna get there? We're both gonna ride our bikes. Very uh I don't know, very mission impossible too. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> I I find something deeply romantic about it. Like these two broken people, like they're they're just on a mission. Each of them is on their own mission, but like they have some sort of connection with it and you know, it just it kind of works for me. Like that is the sort of like Michael Mann stuff that I appreciate seeing in here too. That's also really in there with Miami Vice. So I know, really dug it. The I think the best shot of the my favorite shot of the movie, I think, if I had to pick one, and there are a lot of contenders, but I think my very favorite shot of the movie, the, the, I got like, I, I almost stood up. It, it, I was just elated. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, is the the culmination of the car chase yeah upside down yeah the the, no the uh the you know batman goes in the explosion goes off the penguin is is yeah yeah i got him got you i got you i got you and then we are in a tight close-up on penguin with just a tiny part of the frame through the back windshield of his car batmobile through the flames comes out like on real just yeah cinematic <laughs> dick wagging you know it's like <laughs> look at what i look at this it just was an incredible yeah i think matt reeves is having fun i yes. really appreciate that yeah. like every there there's always clear choices that whole car chase my thing from the chase is the is the upside down shot of batman approaching the yeah, car that's a great you know, shot after he's destroyed everything yeah, yeah you give amazing. matt reeves a car crash he will put a camera in the car and you know flip the car around because <laughs> yes, he multiple will do that times multiple this times this movie yeah. in in my from what i could remember uh, yeah plus he obviously did it very memorably in let me in as well yes. yeah mm-hmm. um but Jeff, were you, were you done? I had some. I had some further. No, you can do some. I, I had a couple more, but go, go. Your your turn. No, 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 no. You, you, well, I mean, those are the ones. You know, you already listed the scene at the end. That shot with the grappling hook. Honestly, I was going to list that one as well. Mm-hmm. So the shot awesome. of him going into the club. Like these are some really great shots. So yeah. no, no question there. I have some issues with the story that I want to mention. But if you have other shots you want to bring up, this is a good time. Um, I had one more, but now it slipped my mind. So oh, I, wanted- I, I will say the whole. Um, I feel like the uh, Skarsgård crashing into the funeral was really oh, well done. Yes. I didn't feel like the end of it, you know. The explosion? It, the the explosion? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, feel, it felt like, um, I think the fact that like the last half of that sequence took place like at a different time of day really felt like it took the momentum out of that scene for me. Mm. But I do like the idea of, it felt very, very practical, very Nolan-esque to have, uh, an SUV driving to a crowd of like 200 people. Like oh, that, yeah, yeah. That I, felt very just, like well executed. Yeah, go ahead. I just wish that he didn't walk face first into an explosion. I was just like, <laughs> can you hold your hands up or something, Batman? Like, you know this is going to blow up. Like, we I all feel like, knew I feel like you're picking this at this point. Well, I, yeah, I, I, sorry, like I thought it was yeah. awesome that he, he didn't do what every hero in every movie does when the mm-hmm. timer is getting to three, two, one, and like, save them he's like i'm in this i'm standing right here i'm gonna take this full in the face yeah i did don't it it did bother me slightly that the cops like the first thing they did wasn't take the mask off you know like 
Right. What do you, when, what you mean do. when he's knocked out? Yeah. They would obviously I mean, just be like, Jim, let's Jim just Gordon's take his mask like, off and find uh, out who he is. Right? Jim Gordon's like, let, let's, let's show a little respect here or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, did, I mean, that sequence where he, we, we wakes up and they are trying to pull his mask off and he <laughs> yeah. fights off like 30 cops <laughs> in, in a room. So cool. I wish they had done a thing where I think it was in um, Dark Knight where it, like somebody tries to touch his a suit mm-hmm. and it like is electric you know yeah, that, that would have been the, like plausible. the joker tries to touch his oh the joker's henchman tries to touch his yes, mask and he gets electric exactly. and then the joker laughs and it beats him up and spits on his <laughs> henchman on the ground yeah, just that's total cool. wild kinetic yeah. energy i thought the the batarang as the bat symbol was pretty rad <laughs> oh like it's like sure. a detachable part yes. of the shirt sure. yeah that yes. was kind of cool that's very kind of low rent you know yes like, uh, in, in the idea mm-hmm. that we discussed earlier yeah okay so um Here's here's another issue I have with the storytelling. This so I bring up all those highs because it's like it's not like I had a terrible time. I did think that this movie was way too long. It did not justify its three hour runtime for me, but I had a, I had some great moments. There were some things that were just completely baffling to me. We've already talked about like finding out that Master Wayne did or you know Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne's dad Tom Thomas Wayne did the thing, but he didn't do the thing, and it's like why would you ever? I felt like that had to be some kind of rewrite. I can't imagine Matt Reeves would have written it like that originally because it just feels so clumsy it's really clunky but i think it's um, to justify alfred's loyalty mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. i I think Mm -hmm. honestly it's 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 to make alfred a noble character it just uh i don't even i'm not even necessarily opposed to the concept but the execution is you find that information out literally two minutes after you find out the other information Mm -hmm. you know like so that it felt a little clumsy to me but the one thing that's really bizarre is uh this reporter guy, you know, the the night I saw the film, I talked with a couple of very puzzled uh, film writers who were very confused about the reporter guy that Thomas Wayne killed. Everyone thought that that was a buildup to that that guy was going to be Riddler's dad. Right, right, right. Or something. And it's just weird that they introduced that character as a named character and he apparently serves no other sort of purpose in the film. So that was yeah. a little bit, a little bit odd that you kind of introduce this guy and then, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, there's no broader. To me, it's, it's it, this is like your, you know, uh, taste difference. I guess to me that would be clunkier. That would mm. just be yeah. like, you know, lineage. Well, but, but, but like yeah. the the movie was all about like these characters overcoming the their dads, mm-hmm. sins overcoming the father. their I mean, father issues. It right? is literally explicitly mm-hmm. saying sins of the father over and over again. Exactly. So Bruce Wayne and Thomas Wayne, you got Selena Kyle and uh, her dad. And then you got then theoretically Riddler and his dad, but then the Riddler and his dad never panned out, so that I was mean, just weird. Just I weird mean, that yeah, was that. it because yeah. he was one of the orphans too, right? So exactly. I was, I, I kind of read exactly. it as like Th- Thomas Wayne is kind of his dad, like that. Mm. That is that is a kind of like lineage there, or at least the relationship. We have not talked much about Colin Farrell, and I have oh, to he's say, so I good. unrecognizable I in this movie, unrecognizable, and I also. I, I'm up two minds of that because uh, you could certainly have an actor who can just be the body type you want the penguin to be, or let the penguin be hot. Who like <laughs> just let him be hot? Let him be Colin Farrell. Well, like, yeah, come on. He's, he's literally like shrouded in in like fat suit and, and prosthetics, yeah. and he's the hottest guy walking the streets it's ridiculous it's ridiculous he's so hot like i mean we do the miami nice podcast so we're huge fans of colin farrell and i Mm -hmm. i'm just like he's the hottest man alive and katie and i my co-host katie walsh and i will send photos like papped of him like running through la and he's just like shirtless i'm like he's the hottest man alive what are we doing guys it's not even a contest yeah okay let me ask you guys this question all right the final sequence where Riddler and, and Bruce Wayne chat, 
okay, this is another kind of missed opportunity for the film. So the the dad stuff, but the other missed opportunity for me is um that there was this moment that I was like, oh my I got I got excited. You know, I got like really part of me tingled inside when um it seemed for a good five to ten minutes that Riddler might know the secret identity of Batman. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Pattinson's on the phone and he's like, yeah. this might be the end of Batman. And I was like, holy shit, that would be so fucking bold if they introduced this kind of alternate universe version of Batman only to then basically say it's impossible for Batman to exist in this universe anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, hats off to you, sir. Super bold. Then, of course, that doesn't happen because of commerce and art. and and But also, the Riddler does not recognize Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and And at first, I was like, I hate this. And then it almost became so ridiculous that I was okay with it by the end because yeah, it's like yeah. here's a guy who studied Bruce Wayne for years and then is not recognizing him even though he's like in a close quarters with him in this you know like yeah. situation. You, you're describing uh, yeah. the exact roller coaster ride I went through. Yeah, tell me, Jeff. I mean, tell me exactly. About your That's what yeah. I thought is mm-hmm. holy shit. They're really going to unmask Batman. In the first movie of would have been so fucking cool. It would legend. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. uh, (laughs) But I don't. You know, I I I think the jury is out for me on whether it would have turned out to be super cool. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Fair enough. Because you know, for Batman to sort of work, it has to be this Mm -hmm. shroud of mystery. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I I was intrigued by it, and I was going, "Wow, this is this is certainly bold." Mm -hmm. And then that scene where he's like. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Bruce Wayne. And you see Pattinson like absorb that and go, Oh, I'm, 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 my goose is cooked. You know, I'm, this is it. And, and then he, and then he like doesn't know what I immediately was like, Oh, come on, movie. Come on. But, but I, like you, I came around and it was like, No, this is what's so brilliant is the Riddler, the Riddler doesn't get the most important puzzle sorted, right? That's Mm -hmm. his hubris is that he didn't figure out the core puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I just, I liked that. I I kind of liked that little, uh, you know, the the dot at the center of the yin yang symbol, like that, like the, the, the most essential quality of the riddle fails him when he needs it the most. I just thought that was cool. I really actually that's one moment that I liked. I was like, oh, that's a great bait and switch to set us up for this moment. And he misses yeah. the riddle. And then he almost says, and you didn't see it. And so that's that's actually one moment that I liked in the movie, which is like, you didn't see my puzzle. You, you, I thought I gave you, you know, dear Mr. Police, I gave you all the clues. <laughs> yeah, Hashtag yeah. the snowman, another Alfredson underappreciated masterpiece. But um, that one I liked too, Jeff. I, I really liked the way you put it. It was like, oh, it's 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 spinning around and then he doesn't see it. And he's already said to Batman that you don't see it. Um, you don't see where this is going. So I, I enjoyed that. But mm-hmm. for me, the, the final Riddler motif is out of the year zero Batman story, which is so great. If you've never read it, it's fantastic. It's a mini series by Scott Snyder and it's so terrific. And he does, he kind of like destroys Gotham city in a way. And then Batman has to go super lo-fi and and do that. And I think this movie does, you know, is inspired by that storyline very much. Mm -hmm. And I I like where it was going, but I just didn't like the visual storytelling because it felt so familiar to me from rises, you know, when the bridges all blow in rises and then all the bombs blow here and Gotham city floods, it was just one moment where I was like, it just felt so 
so similar. S- and- similar thematically and visually. To- yeah, but visually and yeah. thematically. The city similar, was yeah. not destroyed. It was just the bridges, too. So it's sort of like... I don't know. Uh, I, you know what, guys? I've not seen Rises since that movie came out in theaters. Like it is just evaporated from my brain. Is how yeah, that, is how much that movie disappointed. That movie's me, like so. a top ten disappointment of all time. For oh me. man, I love that movie. It, it was I love rough. that movie so much. <laughs> rough for me. Yeah, I remember yeah. Uh, Blake. You were saying uh, the Nolan trilogy was uh, perfect all around. I just had to be like, I really. Well, <laughs> really? Like, I, I, I the the things that you know. I think this is when we're talking, it's, this is why it's mm-hmm. fun to talk like this, when you've got different opinions is because the things that for some people didn't resonate in rises really resonated for me because I think that the handicap of starting a movie, having the perfect Joker of all time with a plan to have his ace up him as your ace mm-hmm. up your sleeve constantly. And then having to work a, a way out of that problem to resolve the story. For me, I was always more, perhaps more forgiving of those other elements, but I found the the visuals and the, you know, Nolan is such a gifted, mm-hmm. you know, filmmaker that I found all those other elements so strong. And I love, I love Bane. I love, I, I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. I'm like an unabashed fan of Rises. It's, but that it's movie, so that movie kind of trashed Gotham City, right? Like it was, uh, yes, it, totally. You know, but it didn't destroy Gotham City. And the, to see it flooded is sort of like Batman just kind of failed. Like the most essential thing he kind of needed to do while he was running around uh, dealing with these like one off mysteries is uh hundreds probably thousands of people died because of what happened in the flooding and to me that was it was pretty baller the movie went that far because mm. also what any follow-ups will look like a very very different kind of city it won't look like the gotham we expect at least it'll be almost venice like i don't know oh yeah that'll be interesting to see um going back to the scene between uh batman and riddler here's what i'll say blake and jeff is I was a fan of the fact that Batman did not give himself away. Yes, when, yes. When Riddler said Bruce Wayne, because I literally saw a scene from Euphoria season two <laughs> where that happens. Basically, they're like, you know, he's like Bruce Wayne, and then Batman was like, "Okay, you caught me." You know, like <laughs> that would have been, you know, that that does happen in movies sometimes where they they like mm-hmm. accidentally give themselves away, and then Riddler's like, "Wait, you are Bruce Wayne." You know? <laughs> I'm glad they did not do that. So points uh, for that scene in that regard. But yeah. Uh, mixed mixed bag for me overall for that part. Um, uh, the uh, the riddle I keep talking about, by the way, the the freaking rat with wings like that. <laughs> that yes. is what makes Batman stumble. Like he didn't a penguin. You think a penguin is a rat with wings? You're you're a bat. You're Batman. I love I loved Thumb Drive though. Uh, thumb, love drive. A thumb drive. That was fun. So that was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to go from uh, what was it? Um, Think it was Batman himself uh, to Carmine Falcone, or, or did they think it was Penguin then to Falcone? Um, but that that like in the span of five minutes, the movie was like, oh no, no it's this. Oh no, 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 it's that. We gotta we gotta go back. And I kind of wish like those sorts of things would really tidy it up, and I think make it a, a lot sharper as a film. Because um, I don't know, I was feeling it by the end. Like by the time they blew up uh, Gotham, I was like, oh wow, this movie's still going, huh? This movie is Return of the Kinging us. Yeah, I know. There's like four more endings than Return of the King, in, in yeah. my opinion, for this film. I, I think ultimately for me, the movie, it, it felt so weird to me. It felt like it was foregoing an origin story, right? Because it's not showing the Waynes getting killed or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like introducing as many characters as you would have in an origin story. And like it felt like kind of like a pilot in some ways for, oh, yeah. you know, future Batman adventures. Um, even though it wasn't an origin story. So it, just, it, it felt a little weird to me. But that's, you know, 
Um, well, obviously in, a, different in a way, it is Go an ahead. origin story, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. the yeah. origin of this Batman coming into his own from from you know from just being a vigilante into a hero, and I think that's right. that's the, the idea. And you yeah. know what's really weird is uh, introducing a new Batman in a goddamn Superman movie and trying to make that all fit. Like to me, yeah. I'm still reeling with what we just lived through with the Snyderverse. So you know, g- give me something fresh. Just give me Batman doing Batman shit. Keep Superman out of this for now. Like give us a very focused thing. Uh, I'm all for it. I, I um, agree that overall that movie is probably messy. However, the one thing I will say is I there's been no greater Bruce Wayne that feels like he beds all the hot chicks in Gotham City <laughs> than Ben Affleck. Like he just like <laughs> sure, drunken sure. Ben Affleck in there, drunken stumbling, ben drunken Ben yeah. Affleck. And then that great scene across from Clark. I don't like guys who dress up like clowns. That's I mean, that's king level Batman, mm-hmm. like Bruce Wayne. Like, that's a king. <laughs> no one will ever give it to me. I'm like, that's a great scene. He's a great Bruce Wayne. And, you know, whether you like CrossFit Batman and how small he is or whatever, that's another argument for another day. But, like, that Bruce Wayne Bruce scene Wayne. is unassailable. Like, that's... It's, per- it's per- very good. The be- yeah, the uh, best Batman scene in those movies is is him going to get Aquaman. I think that's the... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those, yeah, that's good. That's great. I, I want to give a shout out real quick to the bat suit in this movie. Good suit. Uh, every actor you've ever heard talk about playing Batman has mm-hmm. complained about the fact that you can't turn your neck in a Batman costume. Yes. And I love their solution to that in this movie. It allows the, the, the fact that the cape is literally how you would buy a cape. Like it has a, a high neck collar, <laughs> but it's like it's like a cape that you would get from if you were a count in a castle. in like a count. Yeah. yeah, you know, like it's a cape. It's uh-huh. not. Batula. Yeah, it's not like a cowl that becomes a, a cape. Right. Uh, and I just thought that was such an elegant solution because it allows Pattinson to actually act in the suit, which no one in the in ever has been able to do. Mm-hmm. Like he he spends more time in the suit in this movie than I think any Batman has in any of the movies, and does more act like more mm-hmm. acting acting, not just action movie acting in the suit. And it works like he's he's in the suit way more than he's ever Bruce Wayne, and it works. And it's only because some costume designer figured out a way to allow him to actually be comfortable. Or I don't know how comfortable he was, but you know, <laughs> be in the suit and be able mm-hmm. to sort of emote and live in it and be, uh, you know, standing around other human beings and not look like a doof. Yeah, thinking back to the Keaton Batman suits, like those those were rough. Yeah, poor, poor Val Robert Kilmer and all that. You know, it's like R- nobody. Yeah, I guys. remember watching Val, and he was talking about how he couldn't move at yeah. all. Like he couldn't move his neck, and it was incredibly painful um, to wear the suit. So, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, it it not only seems practical, Jeff. It feels plausible given the rest of the vision of Batman that we were given here, right? Yeah, so like this is a guy who probably bought this in a store. Yeah. And, uh, t- you know, watched YouTube videos about sewing and made this himself, basically. I was I was half expecting some sort of, like, cape retraction feature just because uh, put that thing in a motorcycle and uh, this Batman story will end really quickly. <laughs> I mean, no it's, capes. It's a recipe. No, no capes. capes. No, no matter, capes. Yeah, no matter how, uh, you know, no matter how uh, uh, they try to, you know, retroactively explain Batman, Batman begins the, the Batman franchise. There's mm-hmm. never been any plausible reason that it's due to wear a cape all the time, you know? <laughs> never. Capes are cool. Capes they are make cool. you feel cool. Mm-hmm, like, that's mm-hmm. it. it. It gives you superpowers. Like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight crime. I'm going to beat dudes up. I've studied martial arts. 
the one thing I need is this giant towel around my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, constantly. the, the, the cape begins... Oh, sorry, yeah, go, ahead, go ahead, Blake. You go. You go. I, I was just going to say, I think it begins. The good thing is, is when he leaps off the roof, when he meets Jim Gordon for the first time and absolutely eats it into those <laughs> like emergency fire stairs. And he's like, I have to figure out a solution to jumping off buildings. I think that that at least goes some way to say why he does it. But I did like the wingsuit element of this. Oh, yeah. Because it's, you know, way the risk is vastly more extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like uh somewhat realistic too i don't know if you guys ever watched those wingsuit videos but it is it is insane to me what yes. people do <laughs> with wingsuits and you know, shooting their gopro footage on that um just the fact of seeing a batman run to the top of a building and get to mm-hmm. the edge and be scared mm-hmm. which i just thought was like a revelation because that's not batman you know i yeah. just thought that was an yeah. amazing moment in and of itself yeah he's, not, he's not a very elegant landing yeah you know either so yeah <laughs> Can yeah. we uh, talk about unseen Arkham prisoner, like uh, in terms yeah. of casting and whatnot? Like, are you? Do you know who that is, Jeff? Do you care? I do not know who that is. Is that the actor that presumably will be in the, an, another I, movie? I, it's a known actor, so I wonder if you care. That's why I'm asking. No, you can tell me. I mean, that's fine. I, I don't mind. It's uh, it's Barry Keegan. Oh, I think Barry nice. Keegan as, as unseen Arkham prisoner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Barry Keegan, I. I was not expecting him. I was expecting them to go with like maybe even somebody who is a little more well known, but uh, I could see that. He's always had like yeah. kind of that vibe to me. I think he's awesome. Great. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Loved him in Killing of a Sacred Deer. He was great in Eternals, in my opinion. Uh, so if he's in the next one, I mean, I'm going to watch it because I have to because <laughs> I talk about movies with you guys, but uh, I'd be curious to see a bag- Barry Keegan take in the DC universe. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Well, uh, anything else, Blake? I, I, I'm ha- you know, it seems like in this conversation, we've been able to tease out a few more things that you appreciate about the film. So, yeah, I think uh, that's there's, good. There's certainly elements that I like that in isolation, but that, what what I mean, for, you know, I think great movie experiences feel like a cohesive thing. Like I think when I hear you guys talk, you know, and even in some of the people, some sort of knee jerk reactions to my review originally were like, ah, and then like the more reactions that have happened are kind of like, oh, I see what he's saying, but those things worked for me. And mm-hmm. so like that, I would encourage yeah. you, if you enjoy it, I'm, I'm glad. Like I, 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 you know, my friend always says, and I love it. He's like, I don't, I'm, I don't want to kink shame. I don't want to yuck your yum. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's, and that's not ever my intent, but I'm just like telling you when I see these elements together, mm-hmm. what really took me out of it was the, for me is the disjointed nature of these things, the inspirations. And they didn't resonate with me because I kept getting taken out of my experience or things would fold back or double back or, or the narrative conveniences became too uh, labored for me. Um, but yeah, like overall, uh, you know, overall, I can, you know, I hope that people dig it. And obviously I'm not going to, I'm not revisiting this anytime soon, but if there's another one, I will likely because, you know, the great, uh, Garth Franklin, who's the editor of dark horizons, who I pretty much exclusively write for these days when it comes to reviews, um, in the short form will be like, you know, he'll probably give me the assignment to write about it and I will see it. And, and that, that will be the case. But yeah, I, I right, right this minute and even talking about Barry Keegan and that scene that did not resonate with me at all. I was just oh. like, Oh, I was just like, no, we, pro- we let- probably didn't even need that to be, we honest, didn't need it. We yeah, like, we please let, it. please let Paul, if he just popped in, mm-hmm. you know, if he, if he just popped in for me, that feels just so like, I know the, the sort of, uh, 
the sort of filmmaking trope du jour, thanks to Marvel, is like a mm-hmm. cut scene or something that, that that signals the next thing. And I know that even that's probably my least favorite moment in Batman Begins, where he's like, oh, there's this crazy guy and, you know, he leaves a calling card and he's like, I'll look into it. I don't need that. I'm like, the next movie speaks for itself. So I didn't like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to see the next one. I, I will. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. As I said yeah. at the beginning, I named my son Keaton. It's gonna happen, but I, but I, um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciated talking to uh, about it with you guys, and uh, yeah. But for me, it's all about a filmmaking experience is the ability for for you to go start to finish and for it to continue to resonate and for the arc to really pay off. And for me, it just didn't, and that's you know that's okay. I'm stoked that people enjoy it, and and you know I've got plenty of other Batman texts that I love and will continue sure. to revisit and love you know to pieces. So that's good yeah. for me. I think I, it earned the definitive article. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very much where we can agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, uh, Blake, I you've mean, got the Dark Knight Rises. I've got this. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we I can, hate to be, can, yeah. I hate to, you know, be on Divinger's side about anything, but I got to say <laughs> Ma- Mask of the Phantasm, you know, I think is a superior it's film. Real good. Oh, great film. It, it's tough, and yeah. does capture the kind of, you know, Batman being a detective element that this movie yeah. tries I also, to do, you know? I also so. love the Lego Batman movie. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very so different fun. thing. But it's very yeah, different, it's but it's, it's so... F- and, the, and and Ralph, uh, Ray Fiennes as as Alfred and going in 2008, in 2000, and he's like referencing all the other Batmans that exist. Man, great, great movie. Got a lot of great time. Stuff. I mean, uh, I, very few people have played the Telltale Batman, I think, but the, the work that thing does with, uh, ba- with Bruce Wayne and the Joker 2... Uh, is is some really cool terrific stuff. So, hey, yeah Devendra I played it. it's great it's really good it's great it's great um this is why I'm saying though like at this point like Batman is just like it's like a Shakespeare story like we're gonna keep redoing this over and over again it's probably true for all the superheroes but I think this one is particularly mythical and evocative and I I like this iteration that's all and we haven't talked much about Jeffrey Wright as uh, oh, he's as great Martin, oh, he's, terri- he's yeah he's terrific I like Jeffrey Wright a lot mm-hmm. and I, I think this is for my money, this is what DC should be doing. It's right. like, show right. us different interpretations of these characters. Don't try to create a cohesive universe that Marvel, don't just ape what Marvel is doing. I think it, it, that's very difficult to do. And it's not, it's not really right for their you universe of characters. It. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, just, I, well, the last time they did this, you know, and, and let a filmmaker do something really interesting, they got Joker, which made a shit ton of money. We should point out as we're recording this, we don't know how well this movie did at yeah. the box office. Um, it, pr- my guess is it was probably an incredible success though. And, I, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I agree, Jeff, like it, DC is doing interesting stuff, taking interesting chances of these characters. It's not the same as what Marvel is doing, but I do, you know, despite me not liking this movie very much, I do salute the idea that we're getting really different kinds of superhero films. In the yeah. Box and it sounds like yeah. we're getting a Michael B. Jordan, Superman and like, l- yes, yeah. let, let's, let's look at these mythological archetypes through mm-hmm. different lenses like let yes. filmmakers really take big swings and and, and interpret them their own way. don't have to fit into an established template especially as a response to marvel right like folks like you guys some of some of you you two uh <laughs> don't like the marvel stuff because it feels too samey no but that it's it's not that i don't like the marvel stuff but or yeah, whatever yeah. But yeah criticize it because it's perhaps a bit samey and because it's all kind of fitting into a mold mm-hmm. that is established. Like template, and yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that that's, it, that is an opportunity that they have with these yeah. DC characters. It's yeah. like, yeah, just 
interpret them in really interesting offbeat ways. That's cool. This yeah. is the antidote to that. And, uh, you know, based on what you just said, Jeff, um, uh, actually, these new WB movies do the DC movies are making me a little more excited. Like what we're hearing about the Superman stuff and like where these can go. Um, because we don't we know we know what the Marvel like plan is for the next several years. Right. It's all laid out for us at, at the investor thing. And OK, I'm looking forward to that. I want to see Moon Knight and everything. But there is less of a surprise there because they have to have that template. So to that's quote a, another a Michael Mann movie, you don't yeah. even know where you're going to be in 15 minutes from <laughs> exactly. when it comes to the DC universe. Exactly. So, I, yeah, I, I am just I say all that to say I'm just glad that scene that you didn't like, Blake, wasn't Joaquin Phoenix in a room. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know uh, what yeah, I'm saying? I, I think that we were saved from the fact that they don't have to be slavishly interconnected. So I yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. And I even, you know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Spider-Man. I, I, no I, way. I was honestly terrified it was going to be Jared Leto. I'm not. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> I was yeah. like, is yeah, that yeah. fucking Jared Leto in there? So I'm <laughs> walking right out of here. <laughs> that um, is always a question you want to ask. Is that oh, fucking Jared Leto? Is that Jared Leto in, yeah. the, in the shot? If so, yeah. get me out of here. If, I mean, Jared being, Leto's in the closet. Get Jared Leto yeah, out of the closet. Any interpretation of in there is acceptable for that question <laughs> yeah. if it's possible. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. But, but, I, but I even like that on a, on a, on a completely different tact is like, the recent Spider-Man No Way Home, like I, I wasn't like completely over the top with that movie as as many people were when they saw it. I, I love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think it's a stone cold masterpiece. And even like Venom is deeply weird. Um, and I was like, yeah, go for it, guys. Like, let's go. Like, do a few different takes here. And and even if they do loosely connect, like they don't cancel each other out. I think that that's the other take that I want to just sort of emphatically say. It's cool to see a new take. And if people dig it, great. But the th- cool thing about Batman there's so many Batmans. Everyone always have new. a Batman. There's all. Yeah. It's always another one out there. And if you love the Nolans and you don't quite like this one, the Nolans exist. Or if you don't like the Nolans and you're more on the mythical Batman Return side or the Phantasm side and the Batman, they exist. They, they you don't have to cancel them out. I think that's good to actually talk through it with you guys because it's like yeah. they don't they don't cease to exist. You can like all of them or one of them. It doesn't matter. Do you want yeah. to see Batman as an anime ninja? You can see that. You know yeah, exactly. Like, so you get all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, folks, it's pretty impressive that Matt Reeves made a movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Um, I can agree with that. Make more so, movies, please. Yeah, Indeed. Please. All right. I agree with that. Okay. Well, anyway, why don't we wrap things up? You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. And if you listen to, if you're a patron at all, you were able to listen to this review early. Sign up for benefits like that, as well as ad-free episodes, as well as exclusive Afterdarks. Music from this podcast comes courtesy of Tim McEwen, who did our theme song. He's currently at the Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Noah Ross did our weekly plugs music. Our spoiler buffer comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime... You know, as much as a lot of listeners would have liked to hear three people gang up on uh, the old Dave Chen, uh, I'm really glad uh, we got a nice little mix of opinions here, That's Blake good. Howard, and I really appreciate you joining us and uh, and giving us a full... I mean, Dave I think got you his... did not like this movie even more than me. Dave so... got his own world's finest going on, right? <laughs> uh, Blake Howard, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your stuff? What do you want to plug today, man? Uh, look, if you guys go to oneheatminute.com, you'll see everything that we're doing on Twitter. I'm one Blake Minute. Uh, we also have a Patreon for One Heat Minute, which has rum and rants where we don't go into uh, you know 186 episodes of a single film, but just one sometimes uh, with some amazing guests as well. So you can check that out. Um, but yeah, look, 
Dave and uh, Jeff Devinder, thank you so much for having me. A fan of what you guys do. Um, I'm so pleased to be invited. And um, yeah, it's it's really cool to talk the Batman with you and uh, and just talk any movie. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank check, you. Yeah, check out Blake's podcast. He's had guests such as uh, Michael Mann and Guillermo del Toro on his podcast. Um, if you're Paul a film Tom, lover, Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul and, Thomas uh, Anderson. Yeah, and for, exactly. for our for our upcoming project, podcaster and commander. The first interview with Peter Weir in more than a decade. Wow. Oh, wow. Good. All right. Nice. God, I love that nice. movie. Master and Commander yeah. is so good. I'm Ugh. reaching out to you, Jeff, after we've got, we're still in the early phases of recording. You want to come gush about Captain Jack? Uh, Let's well, do I'm it. with you. I'm in. I'm Absolutely. in. Give, select me a good minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing The Adam Project, A D A M, The Adam Project on Netflix. Should be a fun sci-fi film. Uh, there's nothing coming out in theaters uh, next week. Uh, every, they cleared the freaking decks for Batman. They're like, mm. don't not even don't open in the same week as Batman. Don't open it in weeks near Batman is what they were like. So uh, we're going to be reviewing a streaming movie next week, The Atom Project. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 